Welcome to the Realmcast. I am your Mortal Kombat fan, Tim, and with me as always is my co-host, the lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, Phantom. Today, we'd like to welcome back our special guest from previous episodes. Firstly, known on YouTube for his lore analysis, as well as theories such as Wasted Potential and Chronicles. In addition to other content, we have Fourth Snake. Welcome back, Snake. Wait, you started with me? <laughs> uh, uh, hi, hi uh, it's good to be back. Um, I got nothing. Oh, happy, happy to have you back, don't worry. <laughs> also from YouTube, we have History Behind the Warrior, who is known for his videos on the backstories of each character as well as also being known for his lore analysis. Welcome oh. back, Warrior. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I really had a lot of fun last time, and I appreciate being back here again. And of course, this is a really fantastic opportunity for any listeners as well, because I don't think... Actually, I say I don't think... I know for a fact that me and Fourth Snake have never actually featured in the video before. And as we are in the similar spectrum, this is actually a really good opportunity for us to interact, talk, and maybe see some stuff from both sides because understandably we have we talk about the same subjects and topics but have a different eye for our perspectives on the Mortal Kombat universe and series so thank you for having me on and uh, making this opportunity uh, well giving us this opportunity to chat talk all things Mortal Kombat related especially with Aftermath here very happy to have you on and from the highly anticipated Mortal Kombat encyclopedia, now known as the Mortal Kombat Compendium, we have Mike from Uppercut Editions returning from the Realmcast's first episode. Welcome back, Mike. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And uh, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, I guess I'm going to piggyback off of History Behind the Warrior because we've been talking to these guys, uh, both him and most recently Snake, regarding this stuff. And we love the folks that are, are doing the lore because we're in the same boat. And uh you know, it's why we do it. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of discuss this type of stuff with these guys. So thank you. I'm glad to have all of you guys. Thank you so much. So before we begin, I would like to give everyone the chance to introduce yourselves a little bit more and kind of your history with Mortal Kombat, because there's a lot of listeners out there that may not be uh, familiar with each of us. I myself have been playing from the arcade days. Uh, one of my greatest achievements was actually owning every single Mortal Kombat while I was still in uh, high school. And I used to hold tournaments in my hometown. So now I help uh, admin the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook. And I actually keep a Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet in the garage so I can play anytime. Yanni, do you want to kind of tell everybody a little about, about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been a fan of Mortal Kombat since pretty much the first game. Uh, came heavily invested in the lore as the series progressed. I, I still remember I having, I think it was, yeah, Sub-Zero outfit that I used to dress up in as a kid. I actually fell in love with martial arts because of the series. Um, now I help admin uh, the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook with Phantom, as well as run the Mortal Kombat Meme Realm page on well, Facebook and now Instagram too. For Snake, would you like to introduce everyone to yourself? Uh, well, I started with MK4 on the PC. I actually still have that copy on the shelf. Probably the oldest game I still own. That would have been around 2001 or two. Then uh, I got Deadly Alliance, and that's when I really started to get into the series. Then Deception came, and I really fell in love with it. And then once the Netherrealm era started, I kind of fell out with the series because of the direction the game started to go from there. Started to get a bit back into it a little since, but still not, not fond of the direction <laughs> it's going. 
the playlist I got on MK and Injustice videos has, has gone over a hundred videos at this point. So, you know, <laughs> I, I've made my stance on it very clear in the past. You don't need me to spend another 30 hours on here going over it all again. It's a bit of a love-hate <laughs> relationship with you and Mortal Kombat. <laughs> a bit, yeah. All right, thank you. History behind the warrior. I've always had a very special relationship with uh, Mortal Kombat. I remember at a very young age from uh, the podcast I actually talked about uh, on here earlier, actually. I was first exposed to Mortal Kombat at a very young age age watching uh, the movie for a very brief second of Sub-Zero icing and completely wasting that guy on the ship who was flexing. Um, my parents said, no, you're definitely not watching that. So understandably, at the age of six, I was like, I'm going to be a fan of Mortal Kombat. So when I became a young teenager, <laughs> uh, my first real exposure to the games was in Mortal Kombat Deception. But because I was extremely young and I only vaguely knew the games from recognizing the mascots, of course, I didn't really show much interest it's only up until the series was rebooted in mortal kombat 9 where i was really able to jump into the series and kind of get a rough gist and idea of how things kind of went story-wise and then from there i decided to look back at the older games and see all these changes and alterations and by the time um the next installment came out when i was in university uh, i left university became a full-time content creator pursued mortal Kombat. Uh, it's become, i'm in a very fortunate position of where it's become my livelihood and now i'm actually a commentator in the competitive scene and pro league for it in europe so it's just been a pretty interesting journey for me at my end. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, Mike? I guess I feel old because uh, mine started with Mortal Kombat 1 on home consoles. Um, and my, my dad used to bring us home games after work because he used to work two jobs and, and do a bunch of stuff. And he used to bring us home like all the new systems, all the popular games. And we would play the games. Um, and we, of course, had the version, you know, where it was no blood. But I didn't discover it had blood in it or anything crazy like that until I went to a friend's house. And he was like, oh, you got to do the blood code and all this other stuff. And, it, you know, it took off from there. And it was like a, a steady stream. And he used to take us to you know, the malls where we would get the strategy guides and the EGM magazines with like the colorful, you know, John Tobias art and stuff like that. That was where it started with me. But our interest for, you know, our project started back in, I want to say like 2014, where I was like, man, no one's chronicling this stuff. Everyone else gets something cool for like an art book or uh, an encyclopedia. Uh, but how come we don't, you know, we're, we're this awesome gaming franchise and uh, you know, there's so much crazy crap going on. Why isn't there something for us? So that's, that's, I guess it for me. Awesome. And I totally agree. We do need something like that. <laughs> so now on to the reason everybody's here, Mortal Kombat Aftermath. It has kind of finalized the chapter, at least for now, we're, we're assuming for Mortal Kombat. So I guess the first question is, what did you guys think? Did you like it? Yanni, uh, I guess I'll start with you. I, I liked it. I did. Uh, I actually liked it more than the base game story by a lot. And to be honest, that's not actually saying much. I didn't really enjoy Mortal Kombat 11's base story, but I did really enjoy Aftermath. I do have a lot of issues with it, but I still think it was better than the base game. But yourself? Uh, me? I, I had a lot of fun with it. We're not going to spoilers yet, but Shang Tsung made Aftermath for me. He was everything... I had hoped for everything I expected out of Kerry Tagawa's performance. He, it was the highlight of the entire thing. I would have watched an entire movie just about him. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Um, of course, I had a couple issues, but I think most fans did with the series. Mike, what about yourself? What did you think? Overall, I, I enjoyed the content. I thought 
you know, they could have just left it where it was because you, at the end of it, you pretty much end up in the same spot. Just you have some fancy new headwear. It did flesh some stuff out. And I think one of the major concerns is, and this looks, this harkens back to one of the Realmcast episodes where History Behind the Warrior was on, where all three of you were opining for some chance to be the villains and basically beat up on the good guys. And, and we got that. <laughs> um, and it, it did, like some of it felt pretty good. Uh, and some of it did not feel as good. Uh, but I felt like the cinematics were amazing i felt like the choreography was pretty good i felt like some of the moments felt really good i felt like there were a lot of callbacks there were some you know nice little nods to pop culture and i feel like it probably should have been part of what we got in the beginning if you're gonna look at it that way but overall i enjoyed it as like an overall package you know i have the same problems with it that everybody else does there may be some other minor problems that i have with it but as an overall purchase i mean the amount of content that we got i'm i'm happy with it you know it's it's funny that you mention it seems like something that we might have should have gotten at the beginning because um this is something that a lot of people have discussed is how much of this content was kind of already in the game we had seen a few things from the leaks that kind of led up to this that made you wonder if this was a plan all along or if this had kind of gotten released slowly so I, I think that's pretty interesting so history what do you think about aftermath what are your final thoughts now that it's finished well aftermath for me personally it was kind of everything that i personally had asked for it was chaotic it gave us an opportunity to explore the other side of the coin i suppose it was just it was the insanity that i had wanted from the idea of putting shang sung in the main seat behind the steering wheel and seeing where it just would all unfold because we all knew from the very beginning that you know when you have a character that sinister you know controlling the events of a game you're going to get something very very different from that of you know how you'd expect things to transpire in a somewhat typical storyline fashion of you know the heroes win and cheery blah 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 whereas here it seems like they were able to give themselves a little bit more freedom do a lot of stuff that may that could be seen as kind of unorthodox and i enjoyed that although it in my mind because like i unfortunately that final trailer they released more or less solidified everything i had predicted beforehand (laughs) i did really enjoy the ride now i will put i put like this i think if you can turn your brain off you can really really enjoy the story (laughs) that's what i did for the most part but after i had finished it and i started looking back at it and thinking about the final lines and details of how things kind of all panned out there's definitely a lot of problems that don't quite sit well with me i get the decision behind a lot of the choices but it kind of contradicts what it already is established. We'll go into it in greater detail, but I still yeah. think it's a great ride. It's just that if you start looking into it, that's where the cracks in the story do really start to show. But um, I, I do I do recommend um, people play through Aftermath. I think everyone's experience is going to vary, but I, I can definitely say I had a lot of fun with it. It's just that, unfortunately, um, there's, definitely, there's definitely some things that I, I do have to talk about because I can't ignore them. For sure. No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. We'll definitely get into that once we get to the spoiler section. Fort Snake, what did you think? Did you like it? I'm really interested to hear Fort Snake's take because he's usually the most outspoken. <laughs> so Fort Snake, yeah, what did you think? 
Oh, here comes a four snake, same old negative Nancy. <laughs> I, I, I didn't I didn't like it all that much. Uh, there were things that, that I, I did appreciate, like uh, the fact the game's actually make, making use of some of its um, Towers of Time mechanics. Like uh, there are uh, tag opponents we can fight. So we, oh, there's one fight where we have an assist. Um, yeah. It was cool to see that, that they've finally taken advantage of that. I wish we'd gotten a bit more of that. Uh, especially mm. when so many scenes are still a group of three characters and two of them are, are incapacitated or preoccupied rather than just being in the background laying down co- uh, covering fire but it's a step in the right direction uh as far as what the actual plot was i, I didn't i felt like it didn't need to exist because of the way it ends and it felt kind of pointless uh, obviously we'll get more into that later when we actually discuss the spoilers and of course there's the big thing the, mm-hmm. the, the big problem with it which I mean I did a video on it already so <laughs> that is definitely in the spoiler section <laughs> uh, done a lots of videos on it and th- th- I like some of the little bits of fan service though like uh, some of the callbacks uh, particularly in the uh, Fujin chapter I thought some of those were nice little callbacks and so when I got to that part, it felt like there was a bit more love for MK being shown there than we got in the main campaign. Yeah. Whereas here is just stuff that makes sense to bring up, uh, but whereas we didn't get as much of that in the main story, which seems a bit odd even because it's the same writers doing the story. Maybe they just took on board some criticism from the main campaign and when they write in this. Do we know for sure whether they'd recorded this back then or if it was recorded much more recently? Well, that is actually the next question that I wanted to ah. pose, uh, which is also what Mike brought up and Phantom commented on. This actually seemed to be either in the game already and delayed or obviously planned in advance, at least to me. What what do you guys think? I, I, I can't solidify or you know say that i i know i know like um because mm. i i have gone to nrs and i i did i've seen their studios and they've taught me for the procedure of how they do you know uh, all the motion capture how it's done all in-house with the scans and stuff like that so i can't really confirm anything because i don't really know anything properly but i i do feel like it was all done uh, post-release it definitely feels like it was done post-release which would also entail and explain why the dlc characters were so incredibly spaced out on release unlike injustice mm-hmm. 2 that literally had a character pop up every single month for a year post-release so i feel like that may have been the case um if it was all done much much later then there would have been more time to alter some rather extreme changes to particular characters and um, we all know who i'm referring to because <laughs> um, the, the thing is we all have to keep in mind as well that they scan all of these models they get people to act them through and then that all has to be done and then it all has to be sorted out and rendered i'm not going to go through the entire procedure because i don't know it myself but i imagine that would take a considerable amount of time and money to do that so I think for the most part, the plan was to get it all done post-release. But there's definitely assets and existing ideas that exist that, um, that were in the base game behind mm. um, you know the coding. But um, I, I don't know the exact technical side of things. That's what I believe was the general gist and idea. But 
that that's as far as it goes for me um i don't look too too far into stuff like this because unfortunately when it comes with uh, mortal kombat leaks i i'd like to hear think of it as hearsay yeah uh, i can't give you a definitive answer but if I, I i like to give them the benefit of the doubt that it came out after the base game uh, i definitely see where you're coming from there it's, it's hard to confirm this sort of stuff it's just the sort of vibe that i had mm-hmm. a lot of it is the way you do like a dlc schedule and i think that's why the dlc schedule changed for the initial six characters and i think it's also why you know uh, a certain character was removed from that pack and then switch with another character. I also am of the knowledge that Shang Tsung was the last minute addition. So I know that they had to bring Carrie back. Uh, mm. I just don't know when. So that aspect of it is definitely post launch. I do feel like the story structure, however, uh, the script, if you will, and, and some of the base ideas and some of that stuff was probably done before they launched the game because we see some aspects of that you know, when uh, I guess there was like screenshots of the old uh, select screen floating around and stuff like that. It's kind of the same now. But I think a lot of the framework was done before that. But I know, like I said, you know, they had trouble getting uh, Shang in the game and, and getting that all ironed out. And that was a big get for them. And that didn't happen until you know, pretty close to when they launched. It's like what History Behind the Warrior said. I mean, obviously there's some core concepts that were in place, but I I do know that they, you know, some things came later than others, especially with Carrie. And you can tell because, uh, you know, when Shang came out, his his voice is, is kind of low. Like when he comes mm-hmm. into fights, his, his dialogues. In this, he's crystal clear. His levels are, are, are on point. More refined. Yeah. Audio. Yeah. Mm. So I feel like they they definitely did get him back in there. So like I said, I can't pinpoint it, but I I do know there's bits and pieces that were probably done way before launch. All right. And uh, Snake, what do you think? Well, I could go either way because there were some uh, character intros that allude to certain uh, plot points for this DLC, like uh, Shang Tsung mentions to Liu Kang that he sent him back, or even in the base game, the, the idea that Shao Kahn wasn't killed by Katana, he survived. That was alluded to in a few intros, so it seems like at least the idea uh, was already in place that they were going to do this expansion. Mm. And there's also some rumours, uh, I recall, around the time the game came out, that the story was supposed to be a fair bit longer, a, a few hours of story work cut yes. for various reasons. So it's possible that this was intended to be part of that and then they just moved it, moved it to be a DLC. But then there's also the fact that, I don't know if you guys noticed, but when Sonya shows up, she has no new dialogue, as if yeah. Ronda Rousey was unavailable and couldn't come back to do new voice work. So it, it could go either way. Uh, I feel like they probably at least had the idea they were going to do some more story. Like maybe they thought, well, we don't have time to do this before release, so we'll make that later on. But mm. as far as the actual voice recording goes, if it does seem like it could have been later on. No, yeah, hmm. I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that, too. Do you guys feel like this was worth the money? Um, that's been a big point of contention for everybody. So <laughs> what do you think? No. <laughs> Snake says no. Yeah. <laughs> I think it definitely comes down to your own personal feelings on the game as a whole because i feel like out of every mortal kombat game that's come out since the reboot trilogy it's gone one of either ways either people enjoy it or people thoroughly enjoy it like um i i will happily speak for my own then despite being a commentator for it i'm not fond of the change of gameplay style 
4.11 compared to how it was in previous iterations, even before the reboot trilogy. I, I feel like it's very different. And I feel like since that is the core base of what you're selling your game on, and if someone doesn't like it, there's without a shadow of a doubt that someone's not going to get that price tag. Like if someone's buying an entire game just for one character, like let's say if I bought the game just solely for Fujin, but I hated how the game played, that will probably dictate my entire experience with not only purchasing the base game itself, but the additional pass that came along. So mm. it, it's going to vary. It's definitely going to vary from person to person. And you're perfectly entitled for like to not like the game or enjoy the game. It's definitely going to vary. Um, I myself, for the price, because it's just £35 uh, in the UK, I definitely think I got my, pri- my money's worth of the £35 because... I will be getting my money's worth of it because I play the game on a regular basis anyway. But would I have wanted to have get it at a cheaper price? Yeah. I think if it was knocked down to even £30 or £25, I think that would be much better. I think 35 is a bit much. Mm. But I, I, I know personally for myself, I'm okay with it. I'm perfectly fine with it. For myself, I feel like for the amount of stuff that I received, um, characters, extra stages, we finally got friendships back, along with all the brutalities and the new finishers that have kind of been incorporated. I feel like it's money I would have spent, especially because I get to help support NetherRealm and Mortal Kombat as a franchise that I kind of invest in. I'm, I'm putting my money into it because I want to continually see more uh, product come out of this franchise. I, I mean... I'm going to say yes uh, because of the sole amount of content we got as you look at it as a product, right? So we got a lot of content for the update for $40. But the one thing that kind of, I guess, still kind of bugs me a little bit is the fact that most, well, about 40% of that content was free whether you bought Aftermath or not. So you didn't have to buy Aftermath to get the friendships. You didn't have to buy Aftermath for the new stages or stage fatalities. You got those anyway. But it does feel like they maybe held back the coolest skins or the coolest gear uh, to kind of utilize this as a sellable product. So, for instance, we got the Eternal Clash Pack, and we've been asking for Deception Sub-Zero for how long now? <laughs> and and God knows, uh, like, the next one, it'll probably be, like, UMK3 Scorpion and, you know, Striker Robocop or something crazy like that, knowing that people had to buy Robocop to get the pack so they can maybe start patching in DLC character skins, stuff like that. But besides the point, I do feel like a lot of the best skins are probably being withheld for the sake of this you know, this $40 feeling more worth it for people. Now, would I have been fine with it being like 30 bucks, 20 bucks? Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like if there is more content to follow, you don't want to bleed your consumer audience dry or, you know, set any side, like uh, any type of bitterness from people feeling like they didn't get what their money's worth. Especially if like the next set of DLC is just like however many characters, what have you. But I, I personally enjoyed the story uh, for what it was. I enjoyed the characters. I do find Fujin a little more difficult to play than I was hoping. And uh, the skins are awesome. The the new gear for uh, characters like Scorpion, Noob Saibot, and, and Shang Tsung are, are some of the best they've had. I myself agree with Forsnake. I do not think it was worth the price. I say this as somebody who actually really had a good time and I'm continuing to have a good time with Aftermath. However, firstly, I do have a lot of criticism, which we will get into. But secondly, I still cannot justify 
price tag. I mean, many people are trying to justify it by stating that, well, you get friendships and blah, blah for free. And then to me, that's like, okay, if that's free content, why are we using that to justify the price of the pack? If that, that means it's not free. Based on the content that we got, I agree with Warrior here. It should have been even 20 pounds. It does not seem like the content we got actually justifies 40 in any way. 35, 36. I really did have a good time with the game. I am loving playing Fujin. Uh, I mean, that's pretty much all I'm doing in my free time right now. <laughs> um, but I, I still don't see how they could have charged this much. Well, or, well I do. I, I, I believe it's that they can. And I, I'm not okay with that. But to answer the question, no. <laughs> I don't think it was worth the money. I think part of my view on it is influenced by the fact that I didn't enjoy the story. But I think even putting that aside, I, I, as has been said already, a lot of the new content does come for free. So like, if that stuff had been that you had to pay for it, it would aftermath to get it, like the, the friendships and the stages and such maybe uh, also i think if we knew what because there meant to be two more costume packs right i said there were three of them was well, three of them so the flash the weird pre-order one that's its complete own thing we're getting three separate ones after ah. this so i think if we had a bit of an, an inkling of what was going to be in those or when they were coming that also might help because uh, as it is now it kind of feels like they are almost like a non-entity that they're not in the equation they are but it kind of feels like they're not if you know what i mean mm, yeah so i feel like there were, there were aspects of the marketing they maybe could have improved on to help it feel more like it was worth the price but maybe they could have thrown in like something extra like uh sector or cyrax here play as those uh but i feel like just as is it should have been about a tenner cheaper Although yeah. I will say that uh, I was surprised that the story was as long as it was. It's about two hours of cut scenes. I wasn't expecting it to be that long. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, so I'll give them credit for that. It was longer than I expected. I think as a first attempt for DLC by NRS in terms of length, I, I think I can speak for all of us when I say it. It kind of exceeded our expectations with how much content was in the main story, considering it was their first shot at this. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Phantom, would you like to take us into the story? Yeah. What did you think about this first chapter, seeing Nightwolf kind of be brought back into the story mode, seeing him brought back into the fold and uh, and utilized again? I thought it was a really good starting point for the story as well. Um, it literally throws you... Well, one thing I will say about Aftermath in general, because how it's done, it throws you right into the fray of the chaos that ensues when, uh, it, when the um, battle in the Colosseum, which I do like because it, it, it's nice to have that instead of a, a somewhat somber and boring way of entering the story and then somewhat progressing from that point. I think it's a good way of showing relationships, the type of fight or flight mentality each of them will have. Um, one thing I continuously loved and enjoyed through the Nightwolf segment was the, I think this goes throughout the, I can say this for the rest of the DLC as well, is the choreography at hand that seemed to be really well done across the board. Uh, I really liked how they gave uh, Nightwolf a lot of really awesome, sweet slow-mo shots during fight sequences. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just, it's nice to see that character get given some love because I, I wouldn't consider Nightwolf like a... Um, a really big OG fan favorite, but it's nice to just have the limelight on him and show that although he may not always be around and be quite as prominent as the main characters in the game, he's still a badass in his own right. 
Um, I thought it was also a really nice touch having him come into contact with his Revenant counterpart and uh, the, the somewhat rather scary relationship that happens as a relationship. The somewhat turmoil and tension that immediately brews by the end of his chapter when Shang Tsung is forced to like consume the Revenant part in order to kind of keep yeah. himself going. Yeah. It, it, again, it establishes the relationship that we uh, talked about at the very beginning of the game and we just see it again and again and again. And I know for the most part, it may be like super obvious that, you know, something bad's going to happen with Shang Tsung. But I think anyone that knows Shang Tsung beforehand would know that and, and everything's off the table. Any player can be taken off at this point in time. And of course, with it being like, a, a, again, um, and this is in general, I'm quite tired of time travel and fatigue. But I like the idea that anyone can kind of die at this point in time. And it, it doesn't matter in hindsight. One, because it's time travel. And two, it's it's Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> you can die. And, I mean, Baraka got wasted in X and now he's back in 11. You know, they're like, there's yeah. really good aspects to it. I think as a first chapter of the game it's it's a pretty good starting point and it shows the relationships and somewhat distrust amongst the trio before they start uh, going out and essentially recruiting people on their mission they did a great job making that scene very gruesome too seeing night wolf's revenant yeah. get soul sucked and and seeing shang in this form of decay but it, it raised such a huge problem right in the first chapter Two, actually. I mean, right before Nightwolf, uh, well, even fights himself, let alone Revenant Nightwolf gets uh, his soul sucked by Shang Tsung, Nightwolf specifically states, if one gets hurt, the other feels it, right? Mm -hmm. But then they go at each other. That only counts for past characters, yeah. though. And that, that was the same problem with Johnny Cage fight, too, is that, yeah, it only affects, like, if the past character gets hurt, then the future one will feel it. Yeah, we see in the later chapters as well with uh, loose legs. So it only works if the past iterations hurt. But then I would still assume that the past one would have been hurt during that fight anyway. <laughs> I, I presume it's working on the whole spectrum of if you punch your older self in the face, you're not going to feel it. If he punches you in the face, he's going to feel it. Uh, that's how I'm going to presume it. The time travel in, in these games has been... How do I? It, it is makeup as you go along, unfortunately, because it, to be fair, all of the math shouldn't kind of exist in the first place, considering that God made it should not be affected by the time quake, which was established very early on. But for the sake of the story and it like being its own inclusive thing for the DLC characters, I, I will accept it for what it is, but don't worry, time travel. It doesn't make sense when it needs to make sense. It's, it's just so weird that it, they literally beat the hell out of each other right <laughs> after after Nightwolf says, we can't fight, we'll hurt each other. Just put it all on yourself, it's fine. What could this possibly do to my older self? I think uh, they're kind of going off of looper rules where, you know, if you get a broken yeah, leg or a scar... Then you're you're stuck with that scar forever, <laughs> which doesn't entirely hold up if you think about it for too long. Like, how could Revenant Liu Kang be here with his broken legs and such? Mm -hmm. oh, spoiler, <laughs> sorry, but you know, like, you know, it's like, <laughs> or, or, or the fact that if something happens to him, well, it, it, what I've been questioning the logic of does it affect the Revenant? Because let's say that the past Nightwolf died, his future self is a Revenant who is already dead, so. Would that affect him? Because we see in the main story that when uh, past Liu Kang has his soul taken, Revenant Liu Kang is fine, even though yeah. 
his past self is dead. So is it just a, a weird quirk of the writing or is it supposed to be that the revenants aren't really affected by injuries to the human counterparts? That's the biggest issue, that it raises all of these questions when really this sort of stuff should be... I mean, it is difficult, as history mentioned, to actually clear things up on a time-related plot line. But problem is it seems to reoccur with multiple aspects of Mortal Kombat rather than just the time travel aspect, <laughs> which True. actually comes up with Sindel. Now, we, we are told this whole time that Nightwolf had to sacrifice himself to beat Sindel. He wasn't strong enough. She, she literally destroyed everybody on her own in Mortal Kombat 9. And then Nightwolf beats her in one fight. No issues. Oh, yeah, in the Bone Temple. That's right. Yeah. Well, would, would, the, would the Revenant version still have Shang Tsung's soul? Because I think that's supposed to be why she was so powerful back yeah. in 2011. Yeah. Whereas, whereas with her death, his soul would have been freed. So ah. that's yeah, why she's not as yeah, powerful. That's a very good point. Yeah. Continue off it from there. It's just like, outside of the whole villainous depiction of the character, Sindel n- never, ever in her canon at any point in time was ever depicted as some kind of god slaying deity the yes. only reason she did as well as she did in mk9 was the fact that shao khan literally pumped her with shang Tsung juice not in that way before you go that is the only reason she was able to cause that much devastation so to me in this game they're basically holding her as like on this pedestal where she's the juggernaut and pretty much the equivalent um she's basically shao khan's equal that that's how I feel like they are have written her and depicted her, which is completely baffling to me. Now, I get the whole thing of, you know what, Nightwolf defeated Sindel, because I feel in my mind at this point in time, we all have to somewhat universally accept that the Revenants are just weak, weak, watered-down version of the human selves. It's the mm. only reason, like, they've lost... Their, their win-loss ratio is horrendous at this point. So to me, I'm like, okay, I can kind of give that a pass. But then she's doing stuff that's literally ripping people apart with her voice and stuff, which she has, uh, no, no offense to people who really enjoy Cinder, what she has no right in doing by yeah. any means, by any means at all. I enjoy Sindel. I, I, I actually enjoyed this rendition of the Sin, of Sindel for the story, but it's far from her character. There's aspects to her that just don't make sense, and she has no right being as strong as she is in this story mode at all like it to me that doesn't make sense at all and it kind of diminishes not only what how she was originally written or depicted but also the strength and the significance of shang Tsung's somewhat betrayal and sacrifice in mk9 against his will i i have a problem with that because mm. it just it diminishes a lot of things Again, it also brings into account like how strong is Nightwolf anyway? He shouldn't be dealing or having any trouble with anyone at this point. If you can fight someone who is literally able to take on godlike deities, but I don't know, green energy, right? <laughs> but, I don't know. It, it, it's a problem for me. Um, like I said, there are things I like about how things panned out for Sindel in the story. I think it works for the story, but I don't like but it had to be at the expense of an already established character. Before we jump too far down the Sindel, the sideline, because I think 
Gosh, I think we're all going to have a lot to say on that one. <laughs> kind of kind of going back to the beginning of this chapter, one thing that kind of bothered me at the beginning, Liu Kang pulls aside Fujin, doesn't invite Nightwolf to the secret conversation. <laughs> and growing up in the extended media of Mortal Kombat, like uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, um, all these additional things that they kind of tacked on that weren't actually canon. Nightwolf and Liu Kang were always pretty tight. So I thought that was uh, interesting that they just left Nightwolf in the dust, um, which I guess it kind of makes sense in this new timeline. No, it was definitely weird, especially, I mean, <clears throat> to be honest, I love Nightwolf. I'm, I'm a big fan of Nightwolf. I do agree with history that he's never really been this fan favorite, but there are Nightwolf lovers, right? And I, it didn't feel too much like the Nightwolf that we expected because he seemed a bit rash. And that's not something that I, I ever expected from Nightwolf. I always expected this uh, sort of calm and wise character. Now it, to the, it's to the point where Liu Kang is literally telling Fujin, hey, you can't tell Nightwolf this, which, to be honest, is not even really expanded upon in any way. It's just implied later on, which is a bit of a problem. There's something I noticed uh Maybe I'm just crazy, but when the Revenants ambush our heroes, uh, when the fire tentacle things are summoned by Liu Kang, was that from an amulet? That was. It looked like Chinook's amulet, which I couldn't remember how it got back in a Radiance position or if that would have matched up in that time. So it's actually a different amulet. Um, I'm not entirely sure what it is. It's the first time I've been aware of an amulet quite like that in the Mortal Kombat universe. But um, it's it's definitely not Shinnok's amulet. It's something else. But Jesus Christ, did it seem really strong right out the gate? And I was wondering why didn't we see this get used at any other point in time? Oh, it was a different amulet. It was a different amulet. If you actually look at the design of it, it it bears a lot of similarities to it, but it's not in quite a similar circular design. That's okay, interesting. I'm gonna have to check this out. I mean, hmm. I did have another issue with the chapter, by the way. That it's more of a <laughs> not really an issue with the writing, I suppose. But I just found it absolutely ridiculous that Collector, <laughs> he sees Bujin, the god of wind, <laughs> Nightwolf, the, night, the man with the Nightwolf mantle, and Shang Tsung go down the stairs and think, you know what, I can take these guys. <laughs> <laughs> On my own. <laughs> Along with two, what was it, like, pretty much man bear pigs. I don't even know what they were. <laughs> I, think they were I, I think they were supposed to be those uh, tigers, like the one that's in uh, Khan's throne room in 2011. Ah, yes. I, I think it's supposed to be those. <laughs> Can't be sure. I, it's just, what? Like, what? A, what? Come on. I, I don't understand how any any fighter, even even say, like, Liu Kang would have thought, you know, I'm going to take on these three. The collector has a new ability, too. He can uh, open up doors <laughs> just by snapping his fingers. So. But it has to be his upper arms. <laughs> so there, there was another little bit in uh, Chapter 1 which I did enjoy. Uh, it actually made me laugh out loud. Um, the bit where they ask um, Shang Tsung, where, where did you send Garrus? Like to the chaos realm. That was awesome. <laughs> yes, is that our first official acknowledgement outside of endings of the chaos realm in this uh, new timeline? It's definitely the first mention of havoc uh, in this in eleven since the comic books. Oh right, since Oof, the comic. It's the comic books. Wow. And and H havoc is he he didn't die in the comics, so I, I guess the comic isn't canon. No, then? he's. He, uh, when we talked to Sean, he, he said that uh, Havoc can basically survive pretty much anything. So he's still around. Okay. I don't know how, but 
He actually crushed his head pretty bad. Yeah. I, mean, I guess there's the red thing. Mortal Kombat, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually something I've always wondered. If a Chaos Realmer dies, do they go to the Nether Realm? Then are they another Realmer? I don't know. It would explain, actually, why the Nether Realm and Chaos Realmers do speak backwards. Mm, yeah, that, that is actually make a good point. I don't know. We'll have we'll have to ask. <laughs> we'll have to ask because <laughs> I couldn't give you an answer. That's, that's the first time that questions ever been posed. Chaos realms do seem even more indestructible than actual dead people. I mean, Havoc can twist, snap his neck around or survive being decapitated. So maybe the chaos realms are all just undead. Yeah, it might sense. Yeah, <laughs> maybe chaos realm is the underworld for the uh, order realm. That's just- actually a pretty good point. Yeah. But can you imagine, like, residing in the Order Realm, and then you die, and you've known Order your entire life. <laughs> you get, what, like, reincarnated in a Chaos Realm? How do you react? <laughs> Sounds like hell to me. <laughs> and their whole, their whole war on each other is just people trying to get back to Order, and they won't let them back in because they can't understand what they're saying. <laughs> so, overall, I enjoyed seeing Nightwolf brought back into the storyline, making him canon again. What about the rest of you guys? Did did you enjoy the character's reintroduction to Mortal Kombat? I personally thought it was cool. I mean, I, I liked Nightwolf's chapter. I myself really enjoyed having Nightwolf back. It was good to see him. I like the whole spiritual side and mystical side of Mortal Kombat, and he definitely represents that to me. It's just nice to have a little bit more Nightwolf around, considering that he wasn't present properly in Mortal Kombat X, you know, and like he, he does have a fan base behind him. It's just, it's nice to see him back in the limelight, even if it is very brief. I do have to question, though, because the idea is that he, Shang Tsung, and Fujin were all put in temporal timeout by Kronika because she approached each of them to help her. And I'm just thinking, one, why would Fujin help her? Why would she think that would ever happen? And in the case of Nightwolf, what can Nightwolf really offer? Because he's not a god over any kind of element, and he's not this master soul guy. So... What was she hoping to achieve by trying to recruit Nightwolf? I think Nightwolf was always said to be quite strong. I mean, he was able to bind uh, Onaga, right? In uh, the 3D era. Yeah, because he had this soul eater. I I can see Nightwolf. Did they specifically state that Kronika was trying to recruit Fujin? I can't remember. I feel like she just locked him away because she knew he would be a problem. I I think Nightwolf says she approached each of us. Ah, okay. Yeah, she does. She probably tried to get him to turn on Raiden. Yeah, she seemed to be manipulating people. So, um, kind of like she did with Jax. So, yeah, I I agree with Mike. She probably tried to get him to turn against Raiden. Ah, I see. Mm. Fair enough. I mean, based on the past, you don't need to really get Fujin to betray Raiden, just betray himself and kill himself by his own tornado. Well, he he also (laughs) kind of did it on his own in this aftermath story. I mean, Raiden went down the path that... Chronica probably said, "Hey, your your brother's going to turn into a dick. Uh, I'm going to need you to stop him." And he's like, well, "What do you mean?" She probably showed him evil Raiden. And he was like, "Oh no!" It unfolded in front of him. And he's like, "Oh no, shit." <laughs> it's, it's interesting to think uh, if it is if it is that way that it was just the way she approached Jax. She did that with all them. What if Jax had said no? Then he could have been tagging along for, for the entirety of aftermath as well in some alternate reality. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm suddenly very happy that uh, Jack said yes and that we didn't get Reptile instead. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Jack's going through Aftermath kind of useless. <laughs> so, <laughs> what I find absolutely hilarious is that they've just returned from the Nether Realm, where they took out Sindel, and they have this beautifully Sindel-themed fitting 
casket or coffin. <laughs> it's, it's literally purple and gold. It's like, what, did they just have this sitting around? <laughs> With a window in it so you can see her face. <laughs> and then on top of that, Shiva literally has a thing on top of her where what, it's ready for a coffin of that exact size. <laughs> That's what I was exactly thinking. I was like, how convenient a table that's just big enough to fit this coffin. It's almost like this was all a bit of fiction. It was super convenient. I was crying at that point. <laughs> I, I wish we'd seen the, the, the part where they get the coffin, put her inside it, and then, then they say, okay, who's going to carry it? Shanks was like, I, I've, got, I, I've got feeble old man hands. I can't carry. It's going to have to be you two. So he's ordering a literal god to carry this corpse. Shanks like, on my back. <laughs> I think they probably had that casket lying around from, I mean, how many times has Sindel died? So <laughs> Dig into Quan Chi's stash. <laughs> He's got all the colors. <laughs> if you look back at the 2011, Sindel didn't, she just came out of the sand. She didn't seem to have a coffin or even clothes when she died. That is true. She, she, she was just buried <laughs> naked in the desert and then she just came back. <laughs> <laughs> this chapter, we finally get to see the, the, infamous Aaron Black versus uh, Nightwolf fight. Um, well, no, we don't. We don't. They teased it, and then we didn't actually get it. <laughs> <laughs> we see we see enough of it. And then you get to fight. Well, I, yeah, you don't even get to fight uh, Aaron Black as Nightwolf, do you? You got to fight him as Shiva. No, it's Shiva. <laughs> yeah, he gets blindsided so hard by Shiva <laughs> as well. It's He was thrown to the floor like a wet napkin. It was ridiculous. It's the kind of hit you'd expect it. to see to excuse why you're not fighting the character. I like, actually oh, just laid him out, so now whoever was with him, that's who you're going to fight instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually the feel that I got for Shiva's entire chapter. To be honest, like, I every, was about to say the every same thing. single character she fought. Yes, yeah, go for it. Say it. Yeah, every person she runs into, they they find a reason to fight Shiva. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, oh, Shiva, I think you need to fight me for some reason. Uh, let me think of a reason. Yeah, because you betrayed somebody. Let's fight. <laughs> oh, you, you, you're using actual logic to explain why you're doing this? I still want to fight you. Yeah, the Jade fight was unnecessary for me. I'm just kind of like, you know what they gave me? You know what it reminded me of? Because of the arena as well, I'm just like, I'm getting... Johnny Cage and is that Jackson Briggs? I think it is from MK9 fighting over how hot Sonya is. Mm. I'm not a fan of this one. That one felt unnecessary. I think the best justification for a fight is see, I wasn't looking entirely at the screen, I think I looked away for a second, and next thing I know, one of the Tarkatans is falling in the acid. So, I, I, think, I think he tripped and fell and then Barack looks uh, like he's tripping he and Barack is like Barack is like your, it's your fault that so I'm going to fight you for my fallen comrade whatever his name was I'm, I'm going to fight you now what it straight up was is literally playing on like any FPS game where you have a sideways dash and you accidentally step <laughs> off the screen into the pit of death that is effectively what had happened and I was like I can I could I could appreciate this. Just, just a few days that. earlier, I was playing Neo Two and I, I dodged an enemy attack right off the edge into some water and died. And so, so I, I get it. <laughs> I imagine this is where the PTSD starts to starts to come out. Say. Now I really want an arm blade in Neo Two. <laughs> but we did but get. Uh, I did. Uh, I did face, like where. Uh, everybody's like and then Shang's just smiling and it looks hilarious he's so smug the entire story as well I love it 
He's such a pretentious ass. I think that's why, like, for me, he he kind of stole the show because of just like how charismatic and snide he was yeah. the entire time. Even when he's in the wrong, he's just able to play it off really, really well. There is one very important point which Phantom and I are very curious about. Baraka can somehow smell Shang Tsung. <laughs> He doesn't seem to have a nose, first of all. <laughs> so apparently, Shang Tsung only shapeshifts visually, but smells like himself. And then Baraka, now we, we, we have this new discovery that Baraka has a nose. Then again, man, I don't imagine that Outworld would ever sell anything like the Odrant. So, you know, <laughs> it might be one of those things. But, uh, one interesting thing that I did want to bring up, and uh, this is... this. This may have gone over some of your heads because I didn't really think about it properly mm-hmm. until just now. But have they somewhat redesigned the Soul Chamber to basically function as Outward's, uh, Outward's Jinsei? Yes. Considering its healing properties, it, it seems rather miraculous that they've just kind of had that sitting around for a while. Yeah, it's very interesting. I always assumed that the Soul Chamber itself would be something that would cause a... F- I, I expected a stage fatality in the Soul Chamber, not a healing fountain oh yeah imagine yeah. that you, get, you throw the opponent into the into the chamber and then a bunch of souls all come together and form a new ermac oh. <laughs> and then he falls into the pit as well oh. <laughs> he, he, he slips like on a banana peel whoops what you go what he does he tries to play neo and bash sideways and falls <laughs> yeah i thought that was an interesting thing i want to bring up because i i don't know what it is with that it's it's see i know it's for plot convenience obviously but it was just really weird how that kind of came out of nowhere because as far as i'm aware the soul chamber has always kind of just been an ermac thing yeah but like i mean when i think of the soul chamber and i look at the the old souls inside the chamber i remember like 3D era Solnado. That should rip yeah. people apart, not heal them. Which is why I found it really interesting. Like that's why I wanted to bring it up because I'm like, I've noticed this. I know it's for plot convenience, but I don't know. This seems Forced. very not out of place, but it's just I don't know. It's like one of those things that didn't need to be a thing, but it's now a thing. And it's hard for me to not notice it when I see it. If it does kind of connect to the Solnado, kind of going two for one there, Noob Cybot's uh intro where he fights himself he says the soul nato made us stronger but it also made us legion you know it would kind of go the same with that mm-hmm. mm, uh, I suppose. that's a good point that's a good point but um that's something i i do want to talk about actually since we just saw him uh what are your thoughts on kotal basically getting his back repaired like <clears throat> were you guys kind of glad to see him kind of not effectively be rendered useless for the rest of the story or i mean you guys kind he of pretty much was like, anyway yeah i mean <laughs> I, I i do have a bit of a, a fun joke and this may spoil it for later on but i essentially love how kotal went from kotal to kotal khan to kotal can't walk to kotal can't keep his head on <laughs> That is the progress of this character at this point, which is a shame because I like Kotal. Let, let me tell you where the progress of his character is right now. It's Kotal Khan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a shame because I like Kotal as well, but I feel like they've expended all ideas with him. So I'm just kind of like, just don't bring him back in the next game if you're just going to keep training him the way you have. Because he's Kotal headless. 
<laughs> I, I just love the assertion, uh, the the idea that he, that he could possibly pose a threat to Shiva, a Shokan, uh, like who's supposed to be one of the toughest at the uh, currently because she proved herself as uh, the mightiest and became the queen. Uh, he, he can barely walk, and yet he has an actual fight with her. Like the, yeah. the, the, uh, the idea that there's any chance that Shiva could possibly lose a guy against a guy who can barely stand. Like really, <laughs> she got cut right to like she was like a, a comedic smash cut to her choking him out because there's no way he could re- reasonably beat her. <laughs> Not even he just runs over and falls on the way. <laughs> the whole time I was fighting Cold, I was taking it easy because I was afraid I was going to hurt his back. <laughs> I feel like I'm- I'm pretty sure Shiva has a move that she literally anti airs the person and slams her back onto the ground so that the like, floor bounces as well. So I'm just kind of like, oh boy. She, she has that one move where she just slams him on the ground and just steps on the spine like four times. Yeah, yeah I, I literally counted every single time that happens to me. It's so irritating. <laughs> like one, two, three, four. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a Garrus throw or, or, or a collect, yeah. collector's one with the, where he stabs you with all the knives. like, yes, we get it. Please move on. Speaking of Kotal not being able to walk, <laughs> Jade literally says to everybody, don't interrupt Kotal, otherwise his injuries could be permanent. Two minutes later, he's stepping out of the soul chamber ready to fight Shiva. What? Not only that, but isn't the main reason why Kotal passed over title of Khan to Katana was because he thought he couldn't get back to being his normal Thank self? Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, that just popped up in my head now and I was thinking about it earlier and I'm just kind of like, wait a minute, that, that's not right. Don't get me wrong, on the Kotal rolling out world was kind of a shit show from MKX onwards because he, he basically had issues with the people there and it was clearly starting to show in his leadership and, Kot- and Katana wanted to unite the people, so she's definitely better in that respect. But I'm just kind of like, it seems weird that now they, f- they found a reason just to undo that reason yeah also consider the timing of it the fact that this is going on during the original like the main games campaign shouldn't he have been healed in time for the final battle and gone along with them uh, that's a great point because he actually well he was he was in this timeline but not in the uh original oh yes you're right i get where you're coming yeah that's true it may have been like because obviously as we briefly just mentioned Jane said that if you interrupt him it may not do it so maybe the procedure goes on for a very long time but I I, I suppose I'll have to give them the benefit of the doubt because we never really see it see it heal a broken back for the most part but maybe the interruption is why he's able to participate this time because he uh, maybe he was in it longer the first time just to make sure he was fully healed and this time once he pulled out he, he was like I'm I'm fighting let's I, I can fight Shiva right now. I can fight everybody else. Let's go. Yeah, that's a fair point. I totally get Kotal's hatred because in his backstory, um, I'm not sure if many of you are aware, but between um, this happened around the time of MK9, mm. which is why Kotal completely disappears from Jade's life. Is because Shao gets really annoyed at Kotal and throws he basically throws him at Shang Tsung, and Shang Tsung experiments on him for like. Hot, like a horrific amount of years up until Shao's uh, inevitable downfall of which he's able to yeah, escape. Yeah, he, he does bring that up in this story as well. In the story, yeah. There's yeah. some speculation that old timeline meat is actually timeline total pond. <laughs> I love this theory. I really do. And it actually fits. It actually does kind Listen, of make sense. Meets a grappler. He escapes from the flesh pits. Uh, Blood powers. Yeah. Blood powers. Meat is Kotal Khan confirmed. <laughs> With a capital K. 
I also felt like a lot of the fights were forced with with Shiva, and I like I personally. I thought it would have been cool. Like, if you're going to fight Kotal Khan, I thought it would have been a cool mechanic. Like, maybe he starts the fight with, like, 10% in health. Oh. Yes. And then you actually kind of feel bad. That would have been great. That's what I was expecting, Like, you, you're like, okay, this guy's trying to fight me with, like, 10% health. Then you kind of actually have some some empathy towards, like, what he's trying to do. And he's trying to be this, you know, tough, macho guy, but he only starts with 10% health. Um and then you lay the smack down on him. But um, outside of that, I did feel like, you know, there was some of it that felt a little forced. I feel like there were some moments that I felt like we should have gotten. Uh, the Aaron Black Night Wolf fight was definitely a, a missed opportunity, um, especially with like the way it built up with them walking in there. And, um, you know, a lot of it was was, you know, I still felt like it was was going pretty strong here um leading into this next chapter you mentioned that i mean maybe if kotal's health had started a bit lower it would have been cooler and fourth snake mentioned earlier why didn't they use more modifiers this would have been the perfect time to give kotal a sort of health drain modifier yeah yeah that's that's what i feel should have happened or you know we could have completely you know avoided the kotal fight and just have sleep a chiva bitch smack him and then we're in the same spot uh, but they gotta give everybody a certain number yeah, of fights right? I guess so we should wait because they upped the number of fights for this where everyone has five which, which I was actually getting um, quite nervous in the Nightwolf chapter because thinking so what is he gonna fight Sindel or, or himself which which one's it gonna be then it turns out oh it's both and then everyone gets mm. have, uh, five fights which is interesting but sometimes it means that you have to contrive additional fights that really have no purpose existed when honestly they probably could have reduced the number of fights per chapter and had an extra chapter who would you give that other chapter to though anyone who was <laughs> who played on the base game but wasn't in the story yeah i guess that's fair robocop just kick him from the podcast kick him from this episode <laughs> i mean you could you could do kind of like what i've been uh, suggesting for because one of my ideas for how you could do the guest fighters for stories um would be that is johnny cage making movies with those characters so you could do a chapter where johnny cage has made a spawn movie a robocop movie a terminator movie and a batman movie oh that would have been cool I never thought I'd hear you say this. <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> I mean, that would have made sense. That that would have been like a pretty good way to do it. And then like he beats them all. And at the end, he accepts like an Oscar or something like that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that would all be a dream sequence to be fair. Yeah. That'd be quite interesting. Those remind me a bit of MK for Johnny ending. I think I saw that or Arnold. Accepting. <laughs> <laughs> or this time it's actually Arnold. Oh, man. <laughs> I do appreciate the fact that uh, present day Aaron Black actually gets some play now because he, he, he appeared yeah. in two cutscenes and said nothing in the base game, but now he actually gets to do stuff. Yeah, that is cool. He has a pretty good line as he, as he starts off. That, that intro was pretty cool. All right, so chapter three. Just so everybody knows, I like to say Centrum instead of Cedrion. <laughs> <laughs> so I will from now refer to her as Centrum. <laughs> <laughs> I like the part where Cabal falls down because Fujin blows on him. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, for me overall, I would consider this pro- probably my favorite chapter. Yes. Um, it was it was nice 
to get the the somewhat opportunity to play properly through the eyes of Fujin. I really liked because basically Fujin became everything that I had wanted Raiden to have become. Yeah, because we learned much. Like the strongest aspect about Fujin's character is just how human he actually is, despite his role. His moment was with uh, his moment with Jax was my favorite part of the chapter. It helped display his humanity as a character, despite his role. And you know he doesn't take things quite as serious as Raiden does. He even mock, goes out his way to like mock him, like have a bit of fun and poke at him. And, you know I thought that was really good for Fujin as a character, as as someone who's really has been absent of it. I think it really helped to benefit Fujin as a whole. I thought as well, considering that I wasn't a big fan of the Jackie and Jack's chapter anyway, this was a really nice way of redoing yes. it. it. It redeemed Jack's, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it redeemed his whole story. Yeah, yep. it, it did it far earlier, and I, I feel like that was really beneficial. It was a really, it was a really kind of feels good moment as well. That it was it was Fujin that brought him back across, like really talked sense into him. So again, it helps benefit the character. Um, I like as well the whole kind of group and team effort to take down um, Cetrion. I thought that was really cool. Um, there's, there's a lot of aspects of this chapter I like. There's the whole. Uh, part where because we saw it in the trailer as well but I still oofed pretty hard when I saw it when um, Shang Tsung gets the cigar thrown at his uh, face and takes arguably the meatiest <laughs> right hook I've seen that Jax has ever given anyone yeah. so I really enjoyed uh, there's a lot of really good uh, there's a lot of really good parts of the story that I enjoyed um, I especially really like the fact that it was Fujin to like step in on Dark Raiden at the end as well and kind of say it's like you're kind of being a dick how about you don't and the two do fight have a Snickers Raiden <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's gonna become a meme but I could see it now but you know I, I really liked Fujin's chapter it was definitely my favorite chapter of the bunch it helped give ca character to someone that has been effectively underused and somewhat underwhelming since his appearance in mythologies because he hasn't really had character properly he's only ever appeared in the end of um in fact the only character i can definitely say he had was at the end of mortal kombat 4 where he was just kind of like i'm Earthrealm's new protector and now i'm gonna be gone to armageddon and then he just steps out for a while comes back everything's on fire and he has to fix up raiden's mistake and then he's gone again for oh to be fair he does appear in armageddon uh, to yeah, Taven. very briefly in the conquest yeah. mode, but even even then, it's like it's like a very brief conversation, and it it ends up with him losing. Um, the only character, the only thing we really know is that he was friends of the family. I don't know the Fujins just lacked a real personality for a while, so it was really nice to actually see something not only with just in the story, but in the game as a whole. Because I think. Have you seen some of his burns to the people in the cast, by the way? Oh, yes. They're incredible. He calls, he calls Kano Su Hao. <laughs> just like, I did not see that one. That yeah, is amazing. Because <laughs> what was it? He, he basically tells Kano, it's like, no one wants you here, be gone. 
and Kano effectively says, fuck off, Raiden Light. And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay, Sue Hao. <laughs> I'm like, wow. He went there. That is beautiful. Whenever they uh, first entered Shang's Island, you know, they made a reference to the um, the monks that had that were Shang's loyal servants that had killed themselves. Mm. This entire how many years I've played Mortal Kombat, I always thought those monks were White Lotus monks. And... I yeah. I was completely surprised. Same. It's, it's a nice addition, uh, and it, it also helps to the fact that Shang is actually sad to see them go, and is, to, is touched by uh, the loyalty. Mm. It, it's one of the things that adds to his character. It's not just this uh, scheming, sneering, uh, evil bad man. He he has some humanity to him, and that's something we can appreciate. That he actually has a bit more depth than one would expect. Sadly, I I was also expecting the same thing when he passes by Goro's yes. corpse, but he doesn't say a thing. Nothing at all. Which is weird because that scene in general is quite good for the references and callbacks. Like Jax uh, has a go at Shang for locking him up years ago, and then you have Fujin and Bihan getting their rematch from mythologies. Oh, I'm not too big on the whole yes. on whole. Yeah, let's roll it back. That uh, Bihan didn't really beat Fujin. Uh, you just run away or what have you it's, it's like when in Nightwolf's intro with Scorpio when he says I let you win in the tournament thereby jeopardizing Earthrealm because that is a thing that needs to be established now <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but yeah that, that scene was generally good but it's weird that, that Shank has nothing to say about Goro's death and the fact that Goro's mm. death isn't explained in any way still even though we've got Shiva unless there's a new intro that mentions it because I think she says that Kotal killed him when in the comic he didn't I, I believe that they didn't comment on Goro at all because of the problems that it could cause with inconsistency uh, there, there's an intro with Shiva and I believe Baraka uh, that's floating around it's he, Baraka asks Shiva if Goro became Onaga's vessel, and uh, it's that she says hmm. that it did, or Baraka says that it did. One of them says that he did, um, and I guess he, he he almost destroyed Outworld until he was stopped. Well, that ties into what I was going to say, but I didn't expect it to go that far. Well, why wasn't that the plot of Aftermath? That sounds way better. Well, right? It's because uh, <laughs> it was supposed to be the MKX Series 2 comics, but they scrapped those comics because the first series didn't no. sell as well. Because oh. they were bad. Oh. But it, it, it didn't sell as well. I heard it, the sales were amazing. I have every issue. <laughs> as far as I know, the, 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 the comics actually sold amazingly. That's a shame. I was really hoping for more. It's possibly sold well, just not as well in comparison to Injustice, which sells gangbusters. Yeah. So, I imagine that Warner Bros. were expecting it to be that successful, but it just wasn't. So maybe they thought it's, it's not worth still going with this. Mm. Gosh, that would have been a great storyline too to have seen because um, that's always been a big question is what happened to Goro? Yeah, well, apparently he gets his arms back and then turns back into Goro if we're to take that scene as canon. Onagoro. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a sushi. I mean, Onaga was bad up with two arms. Imagine four. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> that would be a perfect vessel of two for Onaga rather than having him take over Reptile. You take that back. <laughs> <laughs> because you got you got a half-dragon creature being uh, inhabited by the Dragon King. Yeah, that's actually very true, yeah. The Shokan are half-dragon, so that... Hmm, I wonder how that would have actually gone down. Now I really want that comic line. Just maybe <laughs> find it a different writer from the first one. Because uh, the, the dialogue could be a bit cringe at times. Honestly, I enjoyed the comics more than I did MKX. 
Hans says to Scorpion, get over yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's just a little... Uh, There's definitely a lot of cheese in the comics. But the thing is, I, I didn't necessarily mind. I enjoyed the comic book run, personally. There's definitely yeah, a, a lot of really weird, hammy kind of use of dialogue I, I can't deny that like literally you said it perfectly it's like get over yourself and I'm like mm, could have said anything else <laughs> get out of here <laughs> I for the most part enjoyed the comics it's definitely they're far from like flawless in themselves but I feel like they did pretty well for what they were supposed to be imagine MKX the, the story of MKX was the story of MKX comics in my opinion, that would have been way better than what we got. It's a bit of a mixed bag. I like both stories for different reasons, but I will definitely not admit that both stories are, like, exceptional. I think they both work in, like, certain ways and good aspects. I think the comics do a good job of establishing some of the newer characters with at least some character, because uh, MKX did a very poor job of trying to put the new characters forward but not giving them enough character to get behind them yeah. and the comics seem to do a better job of doing that it set up a new generation much better in that sense I feel definitely um, but I also feel it focused on a very interesting uh, collection of characters I mean I, I, I'm very biased here because Rain but <clears throat> you know Rain <laughs> Havoc Reiko I mean all I those know, characters for me I'm, I'm glad they got their time to shine. I feel like what was also quite nice, which kind of made me... I'm not even going to try and sugarcoat it. It really, really pissed me off in MK11's story, is the fact that they more or less completely wiped the slate clean with Hanzo after basically giving him an, an entire redemption arc after yes. he was short of his revenant form, and now it's all gone like that, and we're resetting it all over again. Because so I'm just kind of like... But now it's just it's just kind of all gone in that sense, and that, that that's one of the things that did bug me, unfortunately. But but that's on the base game, not aftermath DLC. So I'll stop. I was it. hoping the aftermath would actually remove that point, but they they obviously came in after that point, which is yeah, literally right after. Ah, oh, sad face. <laughs> but it was very nice to see Fujin and Bihan get a sort of interaction. I, I always love the callbacks to the older MKs, but to have a callback to mythologies, for me, mythologies hold a special place in my heart. Like, I really, I, I know the gameplay. I, I recently tried playing it again, and honestly, it just frustrated me to no end. But it's pretty janky. Yeah, but the story, I really enjoyed it. And, I mean, it was the birth of, in the series, of my, one of my favorite characters, Serena, you know? It was it was uh, the inception of Fujin, and it's it's just so nice to see something like that get a reference. In some, in some manner. With Fujin, um, I'm pretty sure I called it on a previous episode that we would see a return of Dark Raiden. I, I, I thought we'd actually get the one that was locked up, but we did get to see Fujin versus Dark Raiden, which kind of changes, you know, our original Morcom 11 timeline quite a bit. Um, because he doesn't go through that whole period mm. of realizing he's fighting Liu Kang for the infinity of I think he time. does, because when, when he confronts him later on, he says, this is what Kronika wants. She's trying to make us fight. So unless Fujin filled him in later, it, it seems like, well, unless it's just plot convenience, like he needs to know. I, I agree with Phantom here, because <clears throat> instead of Liu Kang and Raiden getting this whole... Well, they have the whole dialogue and then they have the fight, right? And that it was shown in the base story of MK11 to be a very important point in the story, which is what Kronika always leads up towards. But in this in this timeline, 
Bujin is the one who actually takes on Raiden, despite Liu Kang and Raiden actually having a bit of dialogue. Now, we, we're going to come to the chapter soon, but we do get a bit of that dialogue again between Raiden and Liu Kang later, where, before the fight is cut short. So it does seem to have a huge effect on, this, on the, the plot itself, that this same fight can't really happen the way that it always has happened. At least in this alternate version of the alternate timeline. <laughs> what else to say regarding Fujin chapter? Because I think I've said everything I need to say on it personally. Well, you did say that uh, Fujin had some pretty good uh, some burns, right? Now, yeah. are we not going to talk about how he absolutely destroys Cabal? <laughs> you may run like the wind, Cabal, but I command it. I mean, that, I don't that to even, me was just oof. <laughs> I wouldn't even consider that a fight. I'd consider it a wash. <laughs> that complete wash like don't get me wrong i like i like Cabal, but he he did not stand a chance absolutely he got blown away yeah at least it's an actual fight he gets you compare that to revenant jade who is continuing to get her, her shit rocks in every scene she appears in <laughs> you're not wrong I, I, she, she, I, I think she you fight her three times in the base game and then here's and that's not counting the scene where Liu Kang just knocks her out in a cut scene and then she's getting knocked out like three more times in this I think I have to feel bad for her yeah no people complain she wasn't in X so they brought her back and just had to keep getting beaten up is this what you wanted (laughs) why did you make us do this as long as she shows up right it's like what they did with uh, Scarlet they brought Scarlet back and she's barely featured in the story she's not even an aftermath yeah, I think I think one of the writers justified it saying that she's unconscious at the Tarkatan camp because she just got beaten up by Katana at this point in the story. Well, for how many and days? That's why, that's why she never shows up again. But what, she's just sleeping this entire time? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I just admired the fact that Scorpion came through the portal uh, for that Scorpion Sub-Zero fight and um, the first thing Liu Kang says, wrong Scorpion. And then <laughs> pissed off. And then it's like the shoes on the other foot because Scorpion is somebody we normally equate to. We normally have a relationship with hatred and revenge and everything like that. And he comes through and he's so even tempered. He's like, oh, everything looks nice here. It's really rebuilt. And then Zero's <laughs> like, it's Hanzo, you asshole. <laughs> like, shoes on the first time. And it's, it's, it's cool to see. And then all of a sudden they like, forget their dis- their differences when they see everybody else come through the portal and uh you know food is just like maybe you guys should should uh chill out and that's all we get from them <laughs> seeing that seeing a team up on the two of them uh, is great for mortal Kombat 11 because that's something we haven't really had you know um we got a little bit of just them working together at the story mode um versus the cyber ninjas but besides that this is our our t- awesome team up <laughs> I think it would have been really cool if, if they'd, they'd avoid the fight in a very particular way because the reason that fight happens is because Scorpion shows up and and when he's asked where Hanzo is he says he's dead he doesn't mention Devorah so it ends up coming across as if he killed him that's what Sub-Zero thinks so I would have loved it if the portal just opened and Fujin or Shang just walks in and said Devorah did it <laughs> there was something important uh, from this chapter uh, we did sort of skate over it but uh, we, we, we talked about how Sindel is bigged up to be this huge powerhouse and how in this, in this uh, chapter he actually is the one to take on Cetrion one thing I didn't understand, um, like I said, we've, we've touched on this, but how is it that Sindel is talked about as the one who can take down Cetrion, this elder goddess, when we have Nightwolf, who has, as we've said already, 
bound Onaga in the past, at least in the previous timeline, as well as taken down uh, Sindel with, as you as you said, history Shang Tsung juice, <laughs> and then Fujin, a demigod, as well as Shang Tsung. How is it that Sindel is the one that they are relying on to take down Cetrium? Why is it that Sindel is the one who has the, the apparent power? Especially without the... Because um, normally when, you, when a character fights Cetrion in the story, there's some kind of excuse, some reason why they're able to match her, like Jack. So Jackie has the crown, and uh, Liu Kang is just him merged with Raiden. So, but here it's just it's just Sindel against the powered-up version of Cetrion, who powers up earlier. Somehow she can d- match that. Yeah. Without the Shang Tsung juice. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if Shang Tsung had just said, "Hey, take some souls to power you up," it could have worked. Yeah, I, my my problem is just that they're they're bigging Sindel up to be this huge fighter. Yeah, and we've but never, never actually had, had anything. Yeah. The really every, weird approach. Every iteration of the character, she's never ever been like that. So, I don't know what what led to this choice. Again, I just feel like it, it's the whole retcon thing and desire to make her Shao Kahn's equal, which, again, we all know was was nothing anyone really had asked for, because this isn't in the nature of a character anyway. So it, it's just, it's completely strange to me why this decision was made anyway. Like, I know the reasoning behind it and the, cho- the options they had on the table, but even then, I, I'm not for it. It's still weird. And again, it kind of undermines the whole thing that happened with Shang Tsung and MK9 up to now. It just feels like MK9 Sindel and MK11 Sindel are like completely do- two different deities. That's that's how I just want to treat it, to be fair. Mm. I, hope, I hope it wasn't just something they added later to appeal to the people who really love this new uh, uh, girl boss Sindel who can kick ass and take names that just to appeal to them. Like, oh yeah, she's totally tough enough to do that. I hope that's not a factor and it's just something they were planning before but it would have been more interesting I think if we'd gone with Fujin instead not only because it's his chapter but because it's Raiden's brother and Shinnok's sister fighting yeah. mm. because they had the epic clash in the hit in the past and maybe they could have a fight that completely destroys Shang Tsung's island just something big and overblown oh that would have been awesome See, this is why I should be on the writing team. That sounds like some wasted plot potential, if you ask me. <laughs> Start a petition. I want to be working there at NetherRealm to fix this. <laughs> All right, so uh, chapter four. Because this definitely seems to be the chapter that uh, everyone seems to be quite torn on. So I think we're going to get a lot of different responses from everyone here. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying on, on Twitter that they really enjoyed the story up until this point, and that's where... It turned them off. But here's a question. Was it a turn off because of how brutal it was with the treatment of characters from a villainous position or was it because of the Sindel thing? I genuinely hope it's the latter because this is Mortal Kombat and you should expect people to get treated brutally. From what I've seen, it has been from uh, the Sindel stuff. I've not seen anyone complain that is too violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the other person I could think of who, who's done that was, I think there was an article by one of the writers from for 11 who, who wrote an article saying i wrote mk11 and i abhor violence i'm thinking hmm <laughs> seeing your 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 heroes defeated like we we saw in this chapter with um Liu kang katana kung lao things like that i mean that of course 
has a little bit of, of play into it because you're you're like, well, these are are the heroes that I've been following through this entire story, and now you're fighting to wipe them out. But it, it was a cool touch because you get to be the villain in this aftermath story, and that's kind of the big point of aftermath. I, th- I think is most of the time you are the villain, um, which was kind of fun. I mean, villains have to win occasionally, otherwise there's no threat. I and mean, this is something I've been saying about these games for years, that the villains are impossible to take seriously because they never win, like, especially Shao Kahn. And now he actually gets to win a few fights because he's yeah. tagging with Sindel. So it's, it's nice that he gets to win some fights. Uh, it, does, it does come off as a tad inconsistent with the rest of the story when he's constantly getting his shit rocks, aside from that one time he cripples Kotal. But I think overall, the the... the idea of a villain chapter was good but i feel like the eventual payoff to uh, for that in the next chapter uh, it didn't really it wasn't strong enough for what was set up here because they just go out like bitches (laughs) for me i actually really dug this chapter i really enjoyed the fact that we got a villain chapter every i i'm not saying everyone but People have been asking for this cha- uh, a villainous chapter, something from a different perspective for quite a while, and it was refreshing. It was nice to somewhat redeem Shao Kahn after how he was treated in the story mode, because he, he went from MK9 boss unblockable X-Ray into basically a, a, a kitten for the most part in the story. So to see him come back here... And basically decimate people in his way was really good. It was very entertaining in that sense. And I felt it did justice for Shao Kahn because I feel like he definitely needed it. You know, it's bad when you get blinded and you get beaten up by two jobber Shokun in a prison. <laughs> That's how far the character had descended from where he once was. So yeah. again, in that sense, it did do... It, think of it as a pseudo-redemption arc in that sense. But, and also saying that, I'm not fond in the nature of how it all kind of transpired. And this obviously inherently goes back to, you know, villainous Sindel, you know, because this wouldn't, all of it kind of pivoted on Sindel betraying them. And might I also add, and it it can't just be me here that felt this. Jesus Christ, did the Shokun, are the Shokun just like really stupid and believe the first thing they hear? Yes. Like every time. (laughs) Every and it happens again. I, I get it with tall cartons. They're fucking dumb as pig shit. <laughs> They're dogs. Tall cartons are li- tar- they, can, they have special spell now. Tall cartons are actually dogs. They are dogs. But like, it didn't make sense for me with like how quickly they abandoned Shiva, and and we don't actually see her again later on in the story, which weighs the question of like, did they just kind of kill her off? Like that. that it kind of felt underwhelming in that sense. That part was really. I'm just kind of like, hmm. I'm I'm not agreeing with this one. Fair enough, it it's happened, but it seems like a really ham-fisted way of getting Sindel an army. Like, it's just it, it just wasn't for me. Um, that part it, it just felt so it felt too rushed for its own good, uh, and I, I I didn't enjoy that. Um, one really weird tidbit of information. I'm not sure if you guys picked up on it like right away. Did they just like make Giris mortal? 
and kill him off in that chapter. I was wondering the same thing. The original story, you had to tie him up, throw him down a a river of infinity depth. Oh, yeah, pit, basically. And now you just got to smash his head in. <laughs> yeah, which is really confusing to me because I'm just kind of like, this man has been decapitated. He's literally been blown up. But it, are they trying to, like, don't get me wrong. I like... Shao Kahn, and I lightly gave him this opportunity to really put him on a pedestal here. But I'm, I'm just kind of like, you are kind of going against what this character is all about, with him being a living paradox that cannot perish. So I'm just like, come on, guys. It, it was a bit. I wouldn't say immersion breaking for me, but I'm just kind of like, so we are actually completely done with Garrus for the My time. My only being. justification for that is maybe Kronika didn't have the the time or power to put it back into Garrus after he was destroyed. Man, up the time. <laughs> Should have sampled more of that Shang Tsung juice. Considering the Soul Chamber, where it happens. It, it could have been a way to make use of the Ermac model. Like Ermac is around because Khan is I back. I was expecting this. Like Khan could could be there, and then Ermac's like like uh, I, I'm here to serve you, Shao Khan, because you're back. And Khan says, "Keep him busy." While I go and wage war, that would have been a very nice touch. I honestly expected Ermac to come up at, like in that fashion and then be a bonus character. I really did. I was hoping for it. <laughs> there were those gripes I had with that chapter specifically. I don't know how Shao Kahn managed to beat Liu Kang in every iteration Liu Kang has beaten Shao Kahn. I don't exactly know how or why that happened. Um,. I suppose for the sake of the story, I'll accept it for what it is, especially with how like devastating it kind of became as the chapter progressed. But yeah, no, there was, there was just some things for me in this chapter that felt really out there. But I still enjoyed the chapter nonetheless. There was a lot of really cool parts, but there were a lot of parts that inconsistently goes against what I felt like they had already established. While we're discussing Shao Kahn kicking everybody's ass, let's uh, talk about Kodal's final fate. <laughs> he is dead, dead, dead at this point. <laughs> yeah, something happens here that was just like the Shokan thing that was brought up because Shiva falls on the ground and then all the Shokan are like, alright, well I guess we'll follow them now. So they throw Kotal's head down a boat and Shao Kahn doesn't even really say anything. And there's a bunch of Osh tech there and they're like, Oh shit, that's our dude's head. Well, I guess we're all now. And, and then like, it, it does seem like they're just kind of not thinking. I'll put it like this. Cause um, I'm not sure if you're aware yourself. Uh, Kotal was essentially the last Osh tech. The people in the garbs are actually just normal outworld soldiers who work for basically whoever's in that oh, position. Oh, so that's just their uniforms. So it, <laughs> yeah, that's just their uniforms. There's no other Ojtek that exists. Like, Kotor was the last one. When was this established? Uh, it was... It's been around for a while, because I remember I did, a, I did a video regarding the realms recently, and I looked it up, and it was it. Kotor's last one, and as a way of honoring his um, ancestors and his family, basically, he dresses up... Um, all outworld guards he has in traditional uh, Oshkosh. Yeah, Shao Kahn and, and Goro went through and oh. annihilated a whole bunch of them. Uh, and I think he was the only one left. Him and mm -hmm. his father, <clears throat> and his dad was yeah. killed by uh, by uh, Goro. Yeah, but it kind of makes sense. Which 
as to why they would turn against the crown because if they didn't they would essentially be slaughtered by Tarkatans and the Shokan but mm. uh, you gotta ask a lot of questions when that scene went on what exactly had happened to Baraka at that point because we know he was on that ship I'm quite sure but he just completely disappears and Eren yeah in fact that yeah no to be fair oh, she was um, in the fight you see her yeah she gets dunked through the ship I say through <laughs> the ship she's still on the ship uh, I'm C- gonna presume Kumlau's not, Lau is not on the ship <laughs> he, he, he drowned he's dead that's the interesting part though because remember this is past Kung Lao but present time Kung Lao still ex- I say at present time Revenant Kung Lao oh. still existed by the end of the, cha- uh, oh, the yeah. final chapter yeah so so, he's so that's what's in the fort. He just had, he couldn't catch up to the ship. It seems. Yeah, possibly. But if if he does does drown, then it would lead back to the point I made before about is it an oversight or is it actually a thing that a human can die as long as their future self is a revenant? And it won't affect yeah. anything. Mm. Well, we did, considering how aggressive of a manner that we saw the characters being handled with, especially even Liu Kang with his legs being broken. I feel like if there is any future story-based content as DLC, we could see normal, well, I say Human Kong Lao probably come back, depending on whatever ending they wish to work with. Um, but I, that's my tinfoil hat theory. If we if we can see, essentially, Giris's head get caved in, like, to basically to mulch, then, you know, seeing Kong Lao die for, like, was it the third or fourth time now? This probably wouldn't be, probably wouldn't be an issue. But I feel like it's just worth putting that idea out there because timelines, past selves, future selves don't make sense. Stupid. But yeah, yeah. it's a dangerous, dangerous, uh, well, literary just, technique, I guess, to use. It's hard to keep consistent because, like, yeah. there's a lot of t- timelines, time, time travel is a bit of fiction and you have to kind of establish the rules right out the get go. But the problem is, is that it's hard sticking to those rules when you have to work alongside of them or with them and then there's inconsistencies and there's problems that show and come through which we which we have you know obviously seen from the universe being rebooted in mk9 so the biggest part of this chapter that we haven't really discussed yet is the double down on sindel making sure that she is evil uh indefinitely and I mean, this brings up a point that we, we've kind of mentioned a few times on this podcast. This is the Sindel that people are going to remember. This is the Sindel that's going to be carried forward if they use her again, um, especially because of how much of this story was about her. Um, so I guess we can expect evil Sindel from now on. Okay, I, I've, I've sort of been sitting out on this chapter until now because I wanted to hear everybody's thoughts. I really enjoyed this chapter. I did. But... Sindel was the thing holding it back from being a chapter that I had no issues with. Sindel is my biggest problem in Aftermath. Sindel is the biggest issue I can I can think of. All the inconsistencies are something that we can put up with. But Sindel does not make sense even when you double down on the retcon. It, like, it, it, even this whole plotline of, well, Quan Chi killed me and then blamed it on suicide it it doesn't make sense because we still have the previous timeline as as an example of who sindel really is even shao khan becomes aware of it when he comes out the soul chamber even he knew about it and he's and he had him go resurrect her in mk9 
So yeah. it, it leaves a big question of how long has he been aware about this? Was he okay if with he it? he was aware, why didn't he revive her until now? Yeah. Properly, at least, not with Quan Chi's sorcery. No, because there would have been nothing stopping him, honestly. Exactly. On one hand, it was interesting to see this uh, sort of relationship between Sindal and Shao Kahn for, for, what it's, for what it was in the actual chapter. But it was just too brutish. Now, like, too primitive for me, you know? I, I, I get where they were going with Shao Kahn in this sort of stance, this approach to Shao Kahn, how he's just this brute, which I don't agree with at all, to be honest. But I don't see Sindel being, like, husband, you know? Like, it, Shao Kahn and Sindel were sort of, well, really dumbed down for this, to make this chapter work. And Shao Kahn is specifically said earlier in the story by Shang Tsung to have more ego than skill. Shao Kahn is not this brute. He's one of the most, well, I'd say intelligent characters that we've seen in the entire roster over all the years. There's a reason he's such a powerhouse uh, with, well, I mean, he's Shao Kahn, Khan, right? He's, he's not just some guy who fights and wins because he's strong. He's smart. He didn't take on Onaga be, be, like because he knew that Onaga would beat him. He, he outsmarted him. He poisoned him. This, this, this new Shao Kahn that we've, we're getting, whilst it's good to see him have so much presence and really brutalize the entire roster, why is it that he's dumbed down in such a fashion? And why is Sindel dragged down along with him? This and completely only, ruins Sindel's character. Sorry. And it only gets worse in the next chapter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are so dumb in the next chapter. My entire time watching Sindel in this chapter, I kept thinking back to past lore and past history and kept trying to fit her, this version of Sindel in. Like, maybe she just you know, stuck with the earth realmers and, and Katana because they were the most powerful. They, and she just aligned herself and was very treacherous that it's kind of was always in the back of my mind while watching this, uh, this new version to try to justify how her character has been reintroduced. Her, her ward that, that she put over earth realm in 2011 must be a lie, right? Cause she should she, have no reason to do that with this current characterization. Well, that's that's the biggest issue. Yeah, it doesn't make sense because if the, if she re, if that ward existed, and if MK9 and MKX were in the same timeline as MK11, which it apparently is, then the ward existed. Meaning, Sindel did commit suicide. Yeah, it just uh, unfortunately it's a case of where the canon is altered of previous established stuff to try and pander and forge a new story around it which would for the most part really work but it doesn't work with already established characters because i was thinking to myself last night the whole chapter with sindel it's really good and i like how a lot of the story basically beckons on her deceit but i'm just kind of like it doesn't work with sindel as a character if they fundamentally were to bring in someone else of the like the royal Adenian family, for example, one that we haven't seen. So introduce a new character and have her basically, I don't know, be a close administer or advisor to that of Sindel, for example, sharing a lot of similarities to 
her herself in a very strong position. Tanya. Yeah. No, I'm talking like if it were to be a new relative, because you would still give Katana the emotional attachment of having a family. Uh, I get you. Sorry. Yes. Still having someone who was very higher up in the Edenian family and like royal bloodline. You could introduce someone like that. You would give Katana the family that she's been lacking for the most part of the game, whilst also not having to alter an already established character. And I know that may upset like some Sindel fans as you know you, you want you want your character back and also saying that do you really have your character back at this point like don't get me wrong i absolutely love how sindel plays in this game and i really love how she looks i think they did a great job with her it's just a shame that everything outside of that does not make the character feel like the character if anything it puts you off playing her. yeah uh, i mean I, I say that but she is a lot of fun she is a lot of fun yeah she definitely is what do you think mike by the way, I'm curious to hear your opinion on Sindel uh, on the double down. I mean, I, I mean, having talked to them about it, I guess I have trouble kind of putting it into words about how I feel about it. I mean, I also feel the chapter was was pretty well done if you take out like previous knowledge of Sindel. So like if you're playing that chapter, you're like, oh, man, this is actually like, you know, pretty well done. And, and the, the dynamic between uh, Sindel and Shao Kahn outside of the whole husband and wife banter which was just like i get it you don't have to beat it over my head like they say it like every time like, like how many yeah. bones should i break wife i don't know four like <laughs> i get it i understand maybe if i tell you 12 more times you'll understand i'd be really like each other were they married i couldn't tell that part really kind of was like all right can get on with it but I had, you know, I had some difficulty getting through the chapter knowing full well, you know, what was done with the character. And I also know that, you know, they did tease the fact that, oh, well, will she be good or will she be bad? You know, when they did that one interview with Ed Boon, it kind of hinting at the fact that it may change. And, you know, when when I've asked about it, uh, I kind of get sort of non-answers. Um, so... I personally, you know, I've never had any type of attachment to the character. Um, it's never been one of my favorite characters, but I, I can't deny the fact of her importance in Mortal Kombat lore. You know, she had a huge, huge uh, role in the 3D era games, which were big for me. They're some of my favorite games. And then going into this, like even in Mortal Kombat 2011, when they rebooted it, they kept that same tragic uh, backstory. Um, it's in the bio. Um so they, they were rolling forward with that. Um, but somewhere between X and now, uh, they've obviously changed that. I mean, even in X, it's referenced um, when they're talking to her Revenant. Um, so it's it's it, it probably would have been a better route to go where it's like, OK, well, maybe she was tainted by the soul chamber. Um, and then, you know it warped her mind and Shang Tsung took control, blah, blah, blah. Like they could have done that. And it would have probably been a better outcome than what we're doing right now. Um, but overall for the sake of, you know, what happens in the chapter, it was, it was fun to take control of the villains and beat on the heroes. And it did feel like it was a lot more brutal than the other chapters. Like you definitely had like moments where it was like, that was really visceral. And, and like all of a sudden Raiden or uh, they're, they're about to do Raiden's about to capture Revenant Liu Kang and all of a sudden his femur pops out and he's like oh Shao Kahn broke my legs like like okay 
but there, those moments were what made it for me and, and kind of that's what I enjoyed about it. Um, but the actual Sindel retcon and the reasoning behind it is that like it, it was the reasoning for a lot of the other characters, right? So they had to have balance for, for light and good and you have so many characters turning good and and not enough characters that are bad, right? So uh, it's not the best idea to go with when you're writing a story. It's like, hey, so-and-so was good at one point, like Cabal. Cabal had a, a retcon as well where they went back and forth and now he's just bad guy Cabal. And then same thing for Sindel. So like they probably didn't have enough bad guys to balance out the roster and it was a lot of people that were bad at one point but now they're good. Um, and you typically didn't have too many that were good that have gone bad. I mean it would have been the best time to bring back Smoke because he's deviated into his demon form. He's now taken hold – the demon form has taken hold of him. You could have just done an Enra. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of things they could have done, but I think there were some things that were hamstringing them, uh, because I know the story writers don't, don't pick the characters. Uh, I know a lot of that stuff comes from like a, you know, they have a committee. So I, I feel like Sindel kind of fell into that trap, which really stinks. And it, it, it's not the greatest for her fans. And I feel it. I do. But as somebody that you know, is running this project and has to chronicle things. We have to chronicle both the good and the bad. And, you know, these retcons didn't just happen here. You know, they've been happening since the 2D era because they, they can't seem to keep a consistent writing team. And that's that seems to be the problem game into game out. And that's why some characters tend to suffer in, in certain iterations of games. Oh, that's a totally fair point. I, I definitely, uh, well, agree with the fact that uh, NRS haven't, well, not even NRS, even Midway weren't able to continue, like, have a proper continuity with all their characters. There were there were definite inconsistencies over the years. I just feel that the inconsistencies lately seem to be a lot larger than they used. They're far more extreme in that measure. Yeah. I happen to find it's not like it's there's not like a tiny small retcon. Like that, that's a, that's a pretty big fundamental change, and I, I I've always said I'm fine with altering and changing a character, but much like any film reboot or whatever, when you're reintroducing a character, give keep the core the same, but do something that helps it, you know expand on the character, give them traits that they right. didn't have before, like give them an arc, something new that's different, refreshing. But when you're essentially like completely stripping them of what they had and plopping it in and on already established characters, you know, that that's a problem. I'd never want to see or oh, depict an idea and it horrifies me of Michael Myers selling candy <laughs> on a street corner. Like that's just not in the nature right. of the character. You know, like it, it completely, it, it takes away more from them than it gives to them. And yeah. that's my problem. You need to do something that helps stick to the roots, but add something new to them that benefits them. Otherwise, you're just you're reintroducing the same character twice for the sake of reintroducing or just the same for the sake of the twice. character existing if in the, this medium at this point in time. Yeah, right. You, you mentioned earlier that it's okay yeah. to have like uh, just just to bring in that character, you know, so so people can be like, well, it's good to have this character back. I can play as them. Uh, at least you got them in the story. But then people yeah. have been saying that to me with Serena, like not in the sense that she's playable, but just that she appears in an ending. And it's like, well, at least you got a mention of Serena. And I'm like, no, I wish I didn't get a mention of her in Cabal's ending because it's not Serena. It doesn't feel like Serena. Serena and Cabal have never met, you know? 
means Gamora now has demon babies, if you think about it. <laughs> they are named Dante and Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just, you just spoke. I wanted to ask you, you've been very quiet, and I really want to hear your thoughts on Sindel. Tell us, lay it on us. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything really new to say at this point. I feel like I've, I've, I've talked about it so much, I've kind of covered everything, that it was it's just a, a baffling decision that just doesn't really work with the character and it's not well thought out in the slightest so could you think about how this the implications of this retcon with all the previous stories we've had with the character it doesn't add up all that like the her ward and the, the way she responded when um when she was reunited with katana in deception all this stuff it doesn't make any sense because it, that doesn't fit with this new completely generically evil version of the character and like she she never was 100% consistent i mean even the the ward itself was a retcon from 2011 but uh, going back to what was being discussed just just a little before that was at least in keeping with her character so the way she was later after she became a better person because originally her death was uh, much more selfish but it was still keeping with the core of the character so it worked the same with uh say cabal where he was originally ju he just left the black dragon then they decided well what if he became a police officer after that okay it's a new idea that is uh, in keeping with the character but now you go to 11 where those two characters have been completely inverted and it doesn't make any sense at all uh, even if you prefer a lot of people prefer the new version but even if you prefer this new take on sindel it just doesn't line up at all. And for the grander scheme of the series, it doesn't work. And if they wanted to do this, it may have been better to just wait until the the next game and do a hard reboot so you'll have more creative freedom. Instead of trying to say that this same character we've been seeing for over 20 years at this point, but I think not too far off 30 years, that she was always like this, when if you've played those games, you know that is absolutely not the case. Yeah. No, I think we're all on the same page with Sindel's retcon. It 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 was unnecessary. It it definitely detracted from an otherwise fun chapter, and it, it's it's a shame. It's really a shame to see. I was really hoping that they would sort of screw with us a little bit and be, like sort of make it seem like she was actually evil, and then actually show us, as one of you mentioned earlier. Oh, actually, this is. Shang Tsung's doing. She's really a good person, but it's just his sorcery or something, you know? But we didn't get that, and it really did ruin the chapter for me and many other people. The, the, the Banshee spirit thing is also never explained or alluded to, so that could have tied into it. Maybe it was a soul in the chamber and Shang Tsung put it inside her so he could manipulate her? That's actually something that I kind of expected them to do with this story, was use an extra spirit, because we saw Shang Tsung manipulating and kind of being involved in everything so i thought that's how they were going to backtrack a little bit on what they did with her and it's definitely a reasonable way of making it work out that's for sure although i i must thank i must thank sindel's chapter for the fact that i got to see the special forces absolutely annihilated it, it was good it was fun <laughs> yeah, overall it is a very fun chapter it's just there's things in it that I definitely don't agree with and I definitely don't think really makes sense overall. I think that as a full package, it's very entertaining. But as I said at the very start of this, when you start looking at like the finer details, a lot of cracks start to show.
like, I like the I like the I like the part where if you just use Shao Kahn for the last fight, Sindel starts chasing Katana with a hair like giant spider legs. <laughs> like, what the hell is that? That is amazing. <laughs> and did anyone notice that um, Johnny is now uh, taking part in things now? He and Sonya, when in the base game, they're just out of action after the Black Dragon base. And, and and Johnny's like, oh, well, Raiden healed me up. Well, what about future uh, future Johnny? Why is he not here? Yeah, he was missing. And more to the point, um, where where are the Lin Kuei and Scorpion? Right? They're not in this chapter. They're gone after the... the uh, yeah, uh, after the, the encounter with them in Fujin's chapter, they're just gone from the story. It's tea time. <laughs> they could have they could have been sleeping too just like scarlet <laughs> so i like i like the tea time idea because it's like a sort of flashback to mkx well wasn't um sub-zero and scorpion on the same ship with shiva genuine question not in aftermath mm. you don't see them at all exactly so i'm thinking if they weren't there for the mate because I'm, I'm trying to think of in the main story if they were there. No, no. I think in, I think in the main story, Shiva was with Kitana and Baraka. Yeah. So uh, they, they were waiting for them at the docks as well, and they didn't turn up. So that is a good point. And also, Zero was running around on the same ship as uh, Raiden and Frost and Jax and Scorpion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they are completely absent in that sense. Maybe that'll be explained in uh, Aftermath Part Two. Yeah. Aftermath Part Two: Electric Boogaloo. Fire and ice, finally. Enter <laughs> <laughs> mode. Although it is a good point as well that, that not only did the Lin Kuei not turn up, what happens with the Cyber Lin Kuei? Like it, it's this huge thing. Then Frost firstly disappears, and then secondly, we see the Cyber Lin Kuei turn up once, and then they're gone. It, like was this entire plotline of the Cyber Lin Kuei just so that they would have what ten fighters who just get destroyed immediately? Maybe they were all connected by 5G and someone destroyed it just in the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good fair point. Because they, they just completely disappear off the face of the map. All right, let's go on to chapter five. I definitely enjoyed this story because it's still, uh, well, this chapter, because it's still riding a lot of momentum from the previous one. My only one problem with this chapter as a whole is that I saw all of this coming like from a mile away i knew yeah. everything it was, it was gonna be it was so obvious it was so obvious it was hard for me to be impressed even if you like, hadn't watched the trailer you knew what was gonna happen <laughs> yeah i mean the, the characters it's in the nature of the character we all knew that very very well and i suppose it can actually go back to what we mentioned about um shao khan being a bit of a dumb just a dumb brute at this point i'm just kind of like you've known Shang Tsung for like a millennium you know how <laughs> treacherous he is you taught him black magic how did you not expect his betrayal like this is it's so glaringly obvious it's so glaringly obvious so the second I saw them like move forward after wasting the revenants I'm just kind of like they're gonna get betrayed and as, as such you know it did happen um, one thing that I actually didn't touch on earlier which I'll touch on now is like I don't know how to put it. It's like they belittle Kronika so hard in the DLC in comparison to the main game, because of course she gets like she nearly dies in the, by the end of Fujin's chapter, 
where she gets attacked by uh, Fujin and Shang Tsung and then Raiden afterwards. And in here, she's like shot down in five seconds and then just wasted by the end of it. I just reminded me, whenever she got defeated by the that trio um, during Fujin's chapter, that reminded me so much of Mortal Kombat Deception's intro. Um, yeah. I don't know about anybody yeah. else, but... Well, there's yeah, a part, with the Onaga there's, thing. There's, there's a part earlier on. The part with Garrus earlier on is a directly... Is that directly where that they got um, Fujin and uh, Shang Tsung firing blasts at him? He's just walking off, and then he just shrugs the whole thing off in a big blast, and then uh, Nightwolf walks over as well. It's the same yeah. scene. I could pretty much hear Deception's intro there. Yeah, no, it was really weird for me because I'm just kind of like, I, I really hope they would have made her seem like more formidable force because she did seem like a somewhat dangerous individual in the main story. I couldn't I couldn't say I've ever found her intimidating at all because Kronika just wasn't intimidating. But here she was wasted like super hard, super, super hard. And I understand that it's supposed to propel the, the villain to like the main forefront of the story as like far more dangerous than we had previously believed him to be. But I don't know. There was that stuff that I was just, I wasn't too, too keen on at the expense of a character. Um, I did enjoy the chapter nonetheless. Um, it was just, it felt like there was too much going on in that sense. Because it was effectively like a freeway, like, war. The um, whole scene where Shang Tsung fights uh, Fujin and Raiden teamed up, and, and the aftermath where he drains their souls, um, that was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> How are they alive when they've had their souls taken, though? So Shang had stated afterwards, too, he said, we'll keep them alive so we can continually drain them for, for a long time. Because it's not their souls, it's their life force, too, right? Yeah, it's not the Yeah, so it seems like he didn't mm -hmm. drain everything out of them. Didn't drink all that shank juice. <laughs> he he, he did with Sindel. He took all that back. I, I don't know. She, 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 she was stealing uh, Shao's juice instead. What? She, 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 she was a mummy by the end of that. Man, then Shang Tsung buffs be crazy. They're affecting the main story too. <laughs> it is a good time to be a Shang Tsung main, I must say. <laughs> is it, is it a shame you don't get to use any of the, any of the ninja morphs in the story though he does actually use it like you know when you're going in from round one to round two the little pre or mid fight interaction he walks away yeah. as reptile and stuff that's pretty cool it would have been cool if he'd uh, morphed into sub-zero to taunt noob Ooh, at some point oh. yeah the only thing we really see him morph into is the what the shoken and raiden and cool yeah. wow and the Raider one was just so so obvious it was I know, him right? yeah. that's one of the problems like I'm not sure there's a single thing that happens in this chapter that isn't the most predictable thing aside from possibly the, the, the way the last fight works other than that it's so predictable yeah. he he puts on that crown so slowly I just that's what I was thinking <laughs> lips on the blind side him <laughs> where are you watch him watch him do it watch him do it uh, didn't Jax get Jax got taken out didn't he like, like two people got thrown at him yeah, you got KO'd. Uh, I mean, there's still two of them. Screw it. You can get the other one. You see how fast this Fatal Blow is. He'll get him. <laughs> and like, did, does Nightwolf die? Because he goes down and then he's not part of the story again, but he's not explicitly killed. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think it goes to... Cause there's a lot of characters that get beaten, but are left off screen. I, it starts to happen from Sindel, uh, Sindel chapter when Kong Lao is beaten. Because we don't see what happens to Liu Kang. We don't see what happens to Revenant Liu Kang. 
We don't see what happens to Nightwolf. Both Jaxes appear. Cassie, we know, is chained up and gone. Sonya is chained up and gone. And then there's Johnny is chained up and gone. We don't even see what happens to Baraka. And Kotal's turned into Kotal can't keep his head on. <laughs> so Jackie, Jackie disappears. Johnny's fate wasn't all that bad either. <laughs> he gets uh, sent away to be a sex slave. <laughs> With Sonya. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's all really kind of strange how everyone... Just stops miraculously disappearing. So I'm just kind of like, if you want to, you can, you can literally just kill these characters. It's it's fine. But I, I'm supposing in the grander scope of the possibility of more DLC down the future, they didn't want to. It's just weird to me. If you look at the entire story, how many of the main characters up until the big ending die? Especially in Sindel and Shao Kahn's chapter, where it's supposed to be the most brutal. It doesn't. It's Mortal Kombat. So it's Garrus. Kotal mm-hmm. who uh, technically doesn't die, just Kotal. Well, that's the thing. We don't even know if, like, Geras is super dead dead now because they, they just left him at that point. And as far as I'm concerned, we didn't see him regenerate that quickly as we did see when he got his hand chopped off earlier on. So I'm just kind of like, if you can get blown up and come back to life from that. Well, even still, they said, let's get out of here before he comes back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just why doesn't he turn up later then? Maybe he did turn up later and got wrapped up in chains and was thrown into the uh, into the sea, just like we saw in the original MK11 story. Possibly, uh, or or maybe he's part of Aftermath Part Two. We see the fight from a different point. He goes on to fight the ninjas in the cyber Lin Kuei. Cyber Garrus. <laughs> <laughs> well, a little thing. I mean, we kind of skimmed over earlier, but also it, it kind of returns here. Cetrion is she has her opportunity to be redeemed. In, in the base story, all she ends up being is this character who just pretty much submits her will to Kronika to pass along her powers. She could have been so much more had she actually said, no, mother, you know, I'm not going to help you with this. She turns on her. Cetrion as a whole, the character that could have been, you know, makes me sad. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't like Cetrion anyway because of the inconsistency that she... Well, causes to the entire lore. The fact that an elder goddess just comes down and, you know, fights <laughs> uh, in, in the way that she does. Because then technically, if that's the case, then Raiden should be just as strong as her, right? But, I mean, Kronika's the same issue being a titan, and I have a big issue with that whole thing. But it's just weird to me because, firstly, we see Cetrion get told by Kronika, don't let your your better nature get the best of you this time and so she does this whole toby Maguire thing where she goes like turns emo <laughs> like changes her outfit like ah, this is it i'm evil now you know and does nothing loses and then literally just gives her life so would you rather have this elder fallen elder goddess's power or pass her power into three fighters who all end up well not doing much anyway I guess we can move into that now. <laughs> what did you think of the ending? <laughs> I, I love both equally. I like both equally, honestly. Um, yeah. I like what it could set up for potential DLC 2 and the future of it. I think it was it's a nice way of kind of paying homage to Karajigawa for maybe the final time because he's he's an elderly gentleman these days. I, it's nice to see him at least land a big win, even if he is the antagonist. But um, it, it would I feel like it is a pretty cool ending. It sets up a lot of stuff. And, you know, if there is a DLC too, 
could definitely mean that the Order Realm and Chaos Realm may get some love, which would be really nice. I know a lot of people have been asking for that. A lot, a lot mm-hmm. of people. And it would be a good way of introducing that and flipping the script, essentially, if you're fighting these mind-controlled versions of characters. But even I must admit, I'm quite tired of seeing characters I like fall onto the spell of mind control. It is getting quite exhausting for me to defend that. I kind of um, I, took took it as those uh, Fujin and Raiden whenever they came before Shang Tsung's uh, throne room. I took it more as they were serving him because they had to. They were under duress. They they he's the more powerful being, and they have to do what he commands at that point. Were Raiden's eyes not red? Yeah, they were. So was Fujin's. Oh, were they? Oh, yeah. were they? Oh. I didn't see Fujin's, but I thought that Raiden's were. Yeah, no. So I, I'm I'm presuming that they were just both ended up being under some form of influence that he's put them under. So think of like, think of them as his puppets, and he's the one controlling the show. That's yeah. how I depicted it. I liked Liu Kang's ending. I thought it was a really nice way of calling it back, all the way back to the great Kung Lao. Because I know everyone's been wanting to see him, and you know, kind of seeing where the heritage and where it's all kind of started from. I feel like that was really nice. Uh, I, I enjoyed both endings in that respect. Just one of them kind of nods towards a story per se that we kind of can get an idea of how it works out. Whereas this one is a base. I, I, I'm. I know. I've, I've said it. I am. I'm hating this timeline restarting stuff. It's. I'm so tired of it. But it, it's nice to see a little bit of a callback to something that people have been wanting to see, and it's a bit of fan service at the end of the day. I personally enjoyed both endings. I mean, obviously, one will be the canon ending rolling forward, and the other one's kind of like a fun ending. As much as I, it, it you know, the Shang one is is definitely really fun because at some point in Juncture, you need to say uh, the other realms have to step up. Yeah. Right. So it can't just be the same three. And I think that's a lot of our problems. Right. So like NetherRealm Studios te- typically will say, OK, it's either Earthrealm, Outworld or NetherRealm. But like no one else ever gets any love. So then you got Chaos Realm and Order Realm finally getting a mention here. And it seems like they're ramping up a little more towards it. But, you know, you, you got to think, you know, Order and Chaos uh, the yin and the yang are what eventually would bring balance, right? Because that makes too much sense to not do it. Um, and then, you know, the Liu Kang one would basically be, uh, it's probably going to be our canon ending, you know, because they're, they're taking a safe way out and Mortal Kombat's a cash cow. Um, it, it's tapping into a part of Mortal Kombat history that we haven't really seen yet, right? We know a little, a little bit about it. Um, we know Great Kung Lao fights for Earthrealm for you know a long time, and then you know dies to Goro. But like, what happens between those years? Um, you know that type of thing. It opens that door and it says, okay. It, it also allows for the series to give a lot of mainstay characters a break. Um, so like you probably won't see Scorpion and Sub-Zero, but you'll see, you know, descendants of, you know, Shirai Ryu, maybe the founder Takeda and, and uh, you know, a cryomancer who was related to Sub-Zero. You get to see, you know, all those folks, those descendants, you know, maybe play out. But I, I like the aspects where both endings have possibilities. Um, one in the, the timeline that's still happening and one in, you know, the distant past. Now, we have seen a lot of the great Kung Lao in Mortal Kombat Conquest. Just saying. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you haven't watched it, check it out. It's yeah. awesome. <laughs> Yanni, before I go to on to fourth, yeah. you had actually uh, 
kind of uh, on a previous conversation with the two of us, you had expanded a little bit on what Mike was just saying, um, yes. being able to see the great Kung Lao. So I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I said that I liked Shang's ending more, and that's just because I was in... The, uh, firstly, Shang Tsung is basically my main in Mortal Kombat 11. Uh, I've, I'm loving playing him, and I honestly started because of the whole ninja thing. But it, it was so nice to see Shang Tsung get this focus, right? Now, his ending was awesome, and it, as you said, it gives us so much possibility, and especially with regards to Chaos Realm and Order, Order Realm, which is which are two realms that we haven't seen for so long and I believe are way more interesting than the realms we've been stuck in this entire time. And I really hope we get something from them, even in the future with a possible combat pack. I'd love to see Hotaru and Havoc return. But Liu Kang's ending gave us so much potential. Now, as, uh, if I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure somebody from NRS has said that they would love to return to, well, the Great Kung Lao's era for one Mortal Kombat game. And I think that would be amazing. Why? Firstly, no more special forces. I'm so tired of the guns. That is amazing to think about Mortal Kombat <laughs> without those guns again. <laughs> it returns to a, an era with mysticism, you know? And obviously the Great Kung Lao, possibly characters coming in from Mortal Kombat Conquest, you know, Ciro, Taja. But then we we have so much poss uh, possibility of characters like Rain, even Shujinko possibly. Depends how far, I can't remember how far back he would go. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But Taven, Dagon, Argus, Dilia, Jared, Sindel. Uh, characters like this who've been around for so long would get the focus because of their age. And we could totally drop everybody who's considered a mainstay character pretty much. And it would be amazing to see. I, I would assume that Raiden would return for this sort of thing. But to see Mortal Kombat having the potential to completely change up the roster is such an, an exciting prospect. And one that I really hope actually takes place. And one that I hope that the Mortal Kombat fans are open to. Because I myself, whilst I love Mortal Kombat 1 to 3, I would love to see us not get that again. The series has so much potential in a different area. And I would really hope that NRS can actually take the series in that direction. Fourth Snake, what were your thoughts on the uh, the endings? Uh, I'd, I'd say they're probably both about what I would expect. If you say, well, how would the story proceed with with this guy's victory and this guy's victory? It's pretty much the way you would imagine it would go. I think both have potential for follow-up. Uh, I think it could be cool if they chose one ending to be for the next game and the other if they do another story expansion for 11, the other one gets it. So it could be the, the next era starts with MK12. That's the, the Liu Kang ending with Kung Lao. Whereas we get to follow up the Shang Tsung stuff with a, a little expansion just to see where that could go. Kind of like mm. the um, the He-Man Injustice comic crossover following on from the Superman ending for two. It is a question for you guys. If they decided that uh, they were going to do a DLC expansion to follow one of these two endings, uh, would you rather see an expansion following Liu Kang's ending with uh, the great Kung Lao being added. And then you get to see all these other ancient characters, like a, an, a, a past Sub-Zero and Takeda and all that stuff. Or would you rather see the Shang Tsung stuff followed up on with order and chaos? Ooh, that, that, that hurts to think about, <laughs> to make the choice between the two. I'd rather see Liu Kang's as its own story, um, it, its own game, because it, there, I think there's so 
many new characters that could be introduced during that. Yeah, as DLCs go, I would want the Shang Tsung one to be the DLC ending because I, I feel like that would need a definitive ending and conclusion to the story. I feel like leaving yeah. it as a big hang off because we eventually we're going to have to wait for like another four, if not so longer years, depending on the new IP that uh, NRS are possibly making um, for a proper con like continuation to the story. And I feel like seeing this downfall of Shang Tsung with the characters that many of us have requested who have been absent would be a really nice way of just sending off mk11 with a bang in terms of a story so i feel that would i feel like that would be a good way of doing it yeah i'm also in agreement the the shang ending would make the most sense for if you got another dlc on top of this game because rather than introducing a ton of other characters in uh, another era whether by premiere skin type thing or or what have you if you do the order realm chaos realm stuff then i mean it, most of this stuff would come with characters attached so it would give people a reason to say okay, uh, Havoc and, and Hoturu are coming back along with a third character, and they could just send that out and then get by with just those three characters plus that expansion um, and make a story off that versus, you know, introducing Great Kung Lao and, and Takeda and, and all those other characters um, and having to go through all that rigmarole. Shujinko, Shujinko, he can be the third guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> now, I have a theory that might kind of blow the whole Liu Kang's ending out of the water and might change how, what you guys think about it. The, the way that it ends is we see Fire God Liu Kang approach Kung Lao and say, you're not like the Kung Lao I remember, and kind of leading us all to believe that this is a great Kung Lao my thoughts are what if this is not the great Kung Lao? This is our Kung Lao, but from a brand new timeline that Liu Kang has rebuilt. So we're not actually seeing him in the past with the great Kung Lao. We're actually seeing him in the brand new present from this new timeline that has evolved out of what Liu Kang has, has done. Dominic has said that it's the great Kung Lao. Oof. Oh, well, blown out water. I think the faces and voices are also different. All yeah, right, the, then. The <laughs> no, it's honestly a good, good theory. But uh, the thing is, if it was this other Kung Lao, then I would expect a Liu Kang to have existed in that timeline, meaning Kung Lao <laughs> would most likely recognize him. But it's still a, a very interesting theory. That would have been pretty cool. But here's another theory. What if this is actually the lead in to Mortal Kombat Shaolin Monks 2, featuring the great Kung Lao and Fire God oh, Liu Kang oh, as the lead oh, characters? <laughs> See, I wouldn't be opposed to that. That would actually be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, uh, one of the things that, that kind of gave it away to me was the fact that he's carving that that jade uh, dragon. Yes. Yep. It's the same one that's in MKX that Kung Jin's that Kung yeah. Jin has. Oh, that's a great little detail. I didn't even realize. The bit, the bit right before Raiden confronts him. Yep. He's, he's stealing nice. it, yeah. To answer Fourth Snake's uh, question, I, I think I agree with all of you. I mean, I believe that if they were to go down the path of Liu Kang's ending, I would prefer it to be an entire game rather than a DLC. And it's been so long since, firstly, Netherrealm, uh, sorry, Netherrealm, uh, Chaos Realm and Order Realm have gotten any proper focus, as well as the fact that the 3D era really needs some love, too. I would definitely prefer to see that as DLC. I would love to see Hotaru and Havik return, as well as specific era characters. It would be so good to see them all return and to have 
NRS say, hey, by the way, these places do exist and we are going to use them. I really enjoyed all the Chaos Realm uh, and Havoc uh, references, so that's cool. All right, so with that all being said, guys, um, let me ask each of you, what is your new uh, favorite friendship out of this uh, Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath expansion? I've not seen all of them. I've not seen most of them, in fact. Um, I'm quite fond of Robocops. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that was a very good one. I wish we could have him in the bling all the time. <laughs> but alas, customization is not that complex. I'm also fond of Katanas. It's fun to see her and Melina getting along, which is very rare. I just wish that the, the, the characters would interact with their opponent. Yeah. Because, it, I, hey, we're, we're friends now. Um, I've got this ice cream, Sea Scorpion. Please, my friend Sub-Zero, may I have an ice cream? No, fuck you, it's mine. Get your own. Friendship. Question mark. <laughs> Friendship. <Again>? Friendship. <laughs> I really liked Noob Cybots, the jump yeah. rope thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, if you're going to do something with a guy who has like sh- split personality shadows and whatnot, you might as well do some double dutch. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, outside of that, I mean, it's fairly universal, like the, the Jax one. I mean... Yeah, that I one. think yeah. everybody loves the Jacks, especially after Epic the Jacks uh, guy. Uh, everything, <laughs> yeah, everything that's come out of it. The eleven-hour video of Epic Jacks guy that NRS yeah. uploaded is probably the best thing they've actually done in years. <laughs> I, I would have said Noob Cyber, but I do want to say something different. So I, I feel like Sub Zero's friendship is pretty awesome because th- that little sort of. I'm literally doing it as I say to you guys, but he jumps up. He's like, yeah, <laughs> and just runs off for the ice cream. <laughs> and it's just it's, it's so nice to hear him like oh, so excited. You know, it's so cool. I love that friendship. Um, I haven't seen too many, unfortunately, because I've been a little bit too busy in my free time outside of playing the game. But the one that's still very fresh in my mind and I have thoroughly enjoyed because his his blank but very happy expression as he's skipping says it all. And that's a Fujin's one. Yeah. Like he just gets this huge smile. The man is literally skipping halfway across the screen, holding a kite behind him the entire time. It's really good. I really like a lot of the friendships. I'm looking forward to actually seeing all of them properly for myself. Uh, first, I was hand. actually on chat with uh, Phantom earlier, and while we were talking, I got distracted because I had the AI playing in the background. And while he was talking, I looked over mm. at the screen and I just saw Fujin running across with a kite, and I just pushed him <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> what about you, Phantom? Uh, my favorite has to be uh, seeing Kid Thunder come back. And, then, yeah. and not only that, but um, paying homage to that that dance crew that um, the, was on America's Got Talent and has kind of made a name for themselves for doing Mortal Kombat dances. So I, I think seeing both those put together was was great. Yeah, that, that is an amazing one. It was so good to see uh, Raiden's favorite nephew turn. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I want to know who everyone's favorite new character in Aftermath is. Fujin, hands down Fujin. I don't blame you. <laughs> Mike. Can, can I say Deception Sub Zero? Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually a fair choice. I don't even blame you. It's been so long that he's, he's pretty much a new character. The Shredder. <laughs> or Snake. Uh, Robocop. 
especially when I customize him to look like Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> that is sick. I am the law. That, that's, uh, that's actually what I've called that variation, I am the law. History behind the warrior, who's yours? I haven't unfortunately had the time to lab or get to know all the characters. I've, I've just been playing Fujin for the most part, so I'm going to have to just say Fujin for the time being. I've had a lot of fun with him. Playing, at, playing with him against some of the higher competitive players has been really difficult, but it's been interesting to see the cool stuff that they can actually pull off with him because he's got a lot of really, really visually like gorgeous moves. It's really, he's really very neat. technical, by the way. I've been playing him and it's to yeah. the point of frustration at times, but I love it. I, I think it's you, really cool. You have to pre-dial a lot of the strings in before cancelling them into specials, which is exceptionally difficult to do because you basically have to yeah. mash them. And even um, in his second variation, where you have where you have the um, Skywalker run, you need to cancel into the run literally on the frames. It's like a just frame, and it's really, really tight. Try that variation a little bit more. It seems. Yanni, how about yourself? Who's your favorite? Oh, 100% Fujin. No, no contest. I mean, when we were saying at the beginning whether or not Aftermath was worth it, I honestly would have just waited and watched the story online and waited for a sale if Fujin wasn't part of this. And I pretty much yeah, I would have bought it just for Fujin. Yeah, that, that's literally what I did. Pretty much Fujin and the uh, Deception sub, as well as uh, Classic Frost. Although I still I still think I would have preferred EA Frost. <laughs> but yeah, Fujin for me. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank our guests so much for joining us today. History, where can everybody find your stuff? So if you wish to find me, you can find me on YouTube as History Behind the Warrior. Uh, on Twitter, it should be HB the Warrior, and on Twitter. Was it Twitch and Twitter should both be H, uh, HB of a warrior or HBT warrior? One of the two. Not too sure. Someone took my tag. Very sad oh. about it. But you'll find me one way or another. And Fourth Snake, how about yourself? I'm on YouTube as the Fourth Snake. Uh, Twitter at Fourth Snake because someone also took my tag. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I, want, I want to find this guy. You guys are becoming best friends after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're the real Deadly Alliance. Don't mess with us. I'm also on uh, DeviantArt, uh, Archive of Our Own, and Fanfiction.net, all as the Fourth Snake, which is where you can find Mortal Kombat Chronicles. My my incredible MK fan fiction series, where I basically make MK good again. I can say firsthand from what I've read, it is definitely worth it. So check it out, guys. And Mike, where can everybody find out about the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia project? They can follow me on Twitter at Encyclopedia MK. No one stole my. And they can also follow us on Facebook at the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project. And you can find Yanni and myself on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat Meme Realm. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for stopping by today, and a special thanks to all of our special guests for joining us on the Realmcast. Thank you, guys. You can catch up on all the episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify, or wherever your podcasts are provided. So there he was, neck deep in shit, cowering at the business end of an outhouse. He picked a bad place to hide, and an even worse place to die.